in a world where people actually watch the stuff their friends recommend. This is I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. Do not touch the glass. Do not approach the glass. You pass him nothing but soft paper. No pencils or pens. No staples or paper clips in his paper. Use the sliding food carrier. No exceptions. If he attempts to pass you anything, do not accept it. Do you understand me? Yes, I understand, sir. I'm going to show you why we insist on such precautions. On the afternoon of July 8, 1981, he complained of chest pains and was taken to the dispensary. His mouthpiece and restraints were removed for an EKG. When the nurse leaned over him, he did this to her. The doctors managed to reset her jaw, more or less, save one of her eyes. His pulse never got above 85, even when he ate her tongue. Greetings, lookers! You know, my pulse never gets over 85 when I'm eating either. Welcome to this edition of I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine, the podcast that's one part movie discussion, one part game show, where we never know what we're watching next. I'll be your host, Ben Mitchell, and you can find me on Twitter and most social media with the handle at RedHenMedia1. Look for that red hen icon. And our theme for Series 5 is Osktoberfest, our daily double mashup of Oscar winners and Halloween. Today, we will be discussing a little movie called Silence of the Lambs 1998, which is a crime drama thriller feature film now streaming on the Roku channel. And I actually own some lambs. It's true. <laughs> and I can't get them to shut up. Uh, very loud creatures, as it turns out. Pro tip, the only way to silence them is to save a senator's daughter from a deranged serial killer. So you can just put that gem in your pocket for later, just in case you ever need it. And I'm here today with my distinguished co-hosts, who are likely talking behind my back. So let's join their conversation already in progress. Hey, gang. Yay. Hello, everybody. Hello. Series five. Series yeah. five. We did it. Yep, here we are. She's simultaneously credible and incredible. The anomaly, Kat Ramirez. Hey, y'all. Just like I'm always real with my friends and family, I always keep it real, real with y'all, too. I was always grateful to be here. Especially grateful to have you. And the provocative one, Mr. Devin Schwartz. The game, Clarice, is on. <laughs> Chilling. <laughs> Chilling. I won't be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> and now for the entree my good friend the incendiary james pepe hey everybody it's me james and uh how do you guys play beetle chess <laughs> I, if the beetles move the pieces it counts right i mean that's uh, i mean how do you play it that's what i'm saying yeah yeah <laughs> i've always counted it and then i always and, and if you uh land on uh Oh, what is the what is the space in Monopoly? Go. Free parking or whatever. Yeah, free parking. <laughs> yeah, you get all the cash in the middle. So that's that's a house okay. rule. The house rules, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And with us also today is the irrepressible gentleman, Jim Scott. Hey, Jim. 
Hey, and greetings, gentle listeners and friends. Indeed, sir. Let's get this show on the road. Hey, Jim, can I get a, um... <laughs> Hi. Hi. I need a rundown of your clients. Can you get that to me? Sure. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Our boss, Charles Miner, just demanded a rundown, and... Jim from the office is here, and he just handed the dossier to Kat. So let's see what Kat has for us on The Silence of the Lambs. Take it away, Kat. Yeah, so The Silence of the Lambs is a 1991 rated R movie. Um, It's about a young FBI cadet uh, who must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer, a madman who skins his victims. Um, This stars Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And the director is Jonathan Dem. Um, and it was written by Thomas Harris, which was based off a novel. Um, some of the interesting trivia I found, um, one of the things that had happened during the film, uh, it was between when Lefter and Starling had first met and, um, Anthony Hopkins was mocking her Southern accent. That was an improvised thing that, um, actually the actress thought was, um, him, making fun of her southern accent within the movie Uh-oh. so uh, <laughs> it wasn't until after that um she like thanked him for for generating such an honest re- reaction from her because she genuinely was thinking he was mocking her southern accent <laughs> um and then the other interesting thing was that in preparation for the role uh, anthony hopkins studied files of serial killers and he actually even visited prisons and studied convicted murderers and was present during some court hearings um concerning like gruesome murders and serial killings um so did he do a clarice and go to prisons and asylums and whatnot yeah he said in preparation for hopkins yeah sir anthony hopkins yeah yeah oh sir Uh, mm -hmm. yeah and uh let me see there was another one that i thought was really interesting um It seemed like also Jodie Foster spent some time with an actual FBI agent to prepare for the role as well. So they really got into it. Um, nice. Yeah, I can't find the other one. But yeah, so that's some interesting trivia of the movie. Cool. And uh, did it uh, garner any awards? Oh, huh. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins won for Best Actor and Jodie Foster won for Best Actress. So as they should have for this role. Yeah. These roles. And didn't it win Best Picture and Best Director as well? It took all the big, the big five. Yeah. Oh, I'll, my I'll, bad. I'll give, it, yeah. uh, I'll give it five ring it ups for that. It just, it took home everything. <laughs> just, just imagine that was five. I'm not going to abuse your ears. Does anyone know how many other rated R films have won Best Picture? Because I can't imagine it's been a lot. It's got to be a small number because rated R typically don't. Sounds like a job for Devin to Google. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. No, oh. that, I I wonder that too. That's that's a good point. Well, Exorcist won a won an Academy Award. I don't remember of what for though. Yeah, uh, I, um, I Training Day too. I remember the other trivia fact that was really interesting was that Anthony Hopkins had like one of the most shortest screen times to win for yeah. Best Actor. 
Yeah, um, it wasn't that so long. It surprised me. It was like me. 24 minutes, I think, in total. So um, 24 riveting minutes that last yeah. a lifetime. <laughs> well, even calling him calling that a leading role is a little bit of a stretch, right? I would have thought it would have been, yeah, like supporting, and then yeah. she would have been the lead. I mean, she clearly was the lead. Um, yeah, that is a bit strange, but I guess he. It was just his presence was so so uh-huh. big that they. He had does to loom large. He does indeed. He is quite memorable. I hadn't seen um, this movie in quite uh, some time, actually. So it was neat to see the takes a killer to catch a killer thing uh again in such a unique and original way at the time and groundbreaking Devin, what do you got for us yeah it looks like there are 29 actually it's a very, fairly good number oh, um, wow. including moonlight uh was rated r the godfather part one and two uh the departed american beauty schindler's list there's actually quite a few yeah i think uh also Always, you know movies more movies tend to get tended to get rated r back then you know it's like it's been what well, it was when it was more strict in the 70s and stuff that's right. That was before the invention really? of PG thirteen. So well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the seventies, even this gritty. movie, it's a pretty decade. Even this movie, I don't know if it really deserved the hard art, honestly. But anyway, there was, yeah, I I think it probably was a little bit over that line, in my estimation, but not not too much. Yeah, but when they showed the violence, they really, I mean, they it really was pretty grotesque. Yeah, and and the scene where he flung uh that was oh, yeah. you mentioned oh yeah that was like yikes and the the tuck job but uh, we'll get to that yeah we'll get to that. <laughs> um, we, we need to figure out uh, who done it but first <laughs> let's check what's in the news um uh we'll we'll do some headlines yeah um so uh my headline was uh it takes a killer to catch a killer so uh what, what have you got for us devin lay a headline on us uh, dermatologists hate him. This Illinois man unlocked the secrets to perfect skincare. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very good, sir. Well done. All right. Pepe, what have you got? Uh, well, I found this headline. Uh, Silence of the Lambs, the best reviewed mukbang of all time. <laughs> <laughs> That's one hell of a mukbang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah rated five stars. It, it got a Michelin, <laughs> Michelin star. There we go. Yeah. All right. So what's in the news, Jim? Yeah. So I found this in a little snippet on the third page near the editorials, and it reads Man in Glass Cage offers riveting conversation and carnival prizes if he guesses perfume you're wearing wrong. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He'll never you. guess. <laughs> Chanel. <laughs> it's like it's like that joke about that guy who guesses who guesses women's weight by <laughs> feeling their boobs, right? Like, how can you tell? It's like, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, if I get it wrong, who cares? You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I always just assume that is how it's done. I mean, um, I, I think they learned that in medical school. So <laughs> yeah. But before we get too far into uh, down into the gutter, let's uh, figure out who done this sucker. We have reached the segment where we guess and reveal who is responsible for this week's submission. Winner with the most correct guesses at the end of this series will win a Who Dundee Award. So, 
as the reigning champ, I believe Jim is uh, supposed to guess first. So what have you what are you thinking, Jim? Sure. Ben, I think you did it. You think Ben done it? Quick okay. one. That's one for me. Jeez. All right. You don't have any uh are you trying to keep uh keep your reasoning from the other hosts? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> later, yes. Okay. All right. He's made well, a maybe stone down later. there. Yeah, he yeah. wants to keep exactly. that, that top spot. That's right. Yeah, you want to get, right, get that other next trophy. Oh, that's okay. right. Yeah, I when coveted you, two yeah. in a row. When you when you go right. for the king, you best not miss. Ooh, okay. All right, the gauntlet has been thrown down. Well, uh, I'm going to stick with uh, since Jim was so quick to push the uh, blame onto me. I'm going to just uh, bounce that back over to Jim. Uh, he's my uh, official red herring uh, this series. So, Jim, I think you done it. You probably saw this in the theaters, actually. It seems like the type of thing you would uh, eat up with uh, fava beans and a bottle of Chianti. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> All right, Kat, what do you think? Who done it? Oh, I had such a hard time with this one. Um, I'm going to say Ben. Two votes yeah. for me. Okay. Any any reasoning behind that, or is this a, a purely instinctual guess? I mean, it's like I can have a reason for every single one of every single one of you guys for this movie. So, I mean, I for you, Ben, it's just more like it's a classic, and you know, like if you're into films, you like Silence of the Lambs is one of them, and so it, it makes sense in that sense for you. Makes sense to me. Okay, Devin. Who done it? Yeah, this this definitely was a hard one. I, yeah, like Kat said, I uh, I think that any of us could have been it. Um, it's like a regular old caper. Um, I think though, I I think I agree that it was Ben. Um, this again, like when you think about Oscar winner slash horror, this is this is it. I mean, this is the one if you want to go for best picture. And uh, you know, I think Ben would have gone with the one, the, the the ultimate example. So Ben, I think it's you. Well, just to try to throw it off of me, I was actually shocked that it uh, swept all the major awards. I had no idea. I, I knew it once for something, but um, I thought it was maybe like writing or best adaptation or something. But nope, it took them all. Uh, James Pepe, I'm surprised no one's guessed you, but uh, I doubt you're going to guess yourself. So let's uh, figure out who done it. Well, I can't imagine this is going to be right, but I'm going to guess Devin because... We were grilling him the other day about horror movies that he's seen. And he was just like, yeah, I've seen Silence of the Lambs, big whoop. And we and we were just like so surprised because it's like this is one of the scariest movies ever. Um, <laughs> right. And he couldn't get yeah. through all through the house because, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but, I can't uh, wait to ask him about this, but maybe he was trying to uh, torture himself or something. I'm, I want to change my vote to Devin, but it's too late. I'm already locked in. I know. I want to change it to Devin, too, because those non-verbals, man, those tells are really going off. Hmm. So, I mean, he may be playing like four or five and 60 chess here. Um, maybe. All the Ds on the chess. And and Beetle chess, too. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so I'm going to guess Devin. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so we have one vote for Jim. I'm trying to get my memory to work here. Two votes for me, and uh -huh. Th uh, one three vote for you, Devin? wasn't it? Oh no, not three. three. 
Was it? Uh, don't go confusing Wait. me now. <laughs> no, it's three for Ben, yeah, one for you, and three? for Pepe. Or one oh, for God, Yeah, that's it. Okay. That's it. Three, yeah. one, I one. I've been up since 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Three for me. Wow. I, I feel very guilty right now. So did I done it or did I not done it? That is correct. Woo! I done it. You'll never be alive, Columbo. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yep. And three yep. of us are on the board. That's right. That's right. So who's on the board then? Uh, me, Kat, everybody, and but me and you, Ben. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, okay, fine. Well, so, well, I'm rooting for you, Pepe and Kat, uh, to get your statues. So, Cat, uh, you got a, you got one. Keep it, keep it going. Um, before, uh, oh no, that's not my line. Read the copy. The copy's good. Now that we know who done it, <laughs> it's time to figure out why done it, or it's time to ask why done it. So how did I come up with the Silence of the Lambs? Well, this was a tough uh, category, the mashup, uh, as you guys might attest to. Um, and it is a movie that is kind of dear to me because I am I have a teacher and uh, I would like to say friend who is actually in the Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Diane Baker, who played the senator in the movie. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, she's a mentor of mine during film school. And uh, she's also a, a producer now. And she still acts. Uh, mm -hmm. And she is uh, a lovely lady to know. Um, and so I was happy to see that this kind of came together. And I finally had an excuse to submit The Silence of the Lambs because it's just a classic groundbreaking movie. Uh, that um, I had not seen in a long time. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see that it stood the test of time and is still as chilling and entertaining and thrilling as ever. Um, so let's open the discussion by asking who's seen it, though. I, have we all seen this one? It's Silence of the Lambs. Has anyone not seen it? We've all seen it. Did you see it in the theater, Jim? Um, honestly, I can't remember. Nine ninety one, I would have been a sophomore. So yeah, or somewhere therein. I graduated ninety three, so I mean, you know, can't remember. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that, well, that's what, the, what were you doing? That's on the, the issue with. <laughs> well, that that's the issue with being, you know, uh, smoking uh, weed recreationally. There's some things I can remember. With like <laughs> picture clarity, and then you know, there's other things like what I did yesterday, and I'm like, uh, yeah, about that. oh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I ran Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, no, you you just DM'd a game, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, lost in the haze, <laughs> <laughs> the purple haze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I actually didn't get to see this in the theater, and I was pretty young at the time. I think I was like 13 or something. Um, if, I'm, if I'm mathing right. So I was probably a little young to really appreciate this film when it came out, but I've appreciated yeah. it many times since then. Um, but man, it would have been cool. I was thinking this while I was watching it uh, earlier tonight that it would have been cool to have been watching it for the first time um, because it's just so much fun. 
And it would have been yeah. nice to just, I kept thinking like, man, it would have been cool not to see this like twist coming or whatever, you know? Um, so does everyone love this movie or what? Do we, do we have any oh, haters yeah. in the room? I love this movie. This is a good movie. This is a good one. Definitely. Quid pro quo. Did everyone love it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, to answer your question, Ben, just looking back on it and, you know, memory can be hazy and, mm-hmm. you know, definitely very selective. But if I, if I had to take a guess, I didn't see it at the movie theater. In fact, I don't think I seen it until later. Because I'm thinking a sophomore in high school, my tastes around that time were still on Friday the 13th Halloween type slasher type movies. Um, coupled yeah, with yeah, this is different fare from that. Yeah, for sure. yeah. Um, coupled with like Invasion of the Body Snatchers type horror, where you know people that are supposed to be your friends aren't really your friends, you know, and you don't know what's what. Um, so I liked that kind of horror. I think I didn't see it until later on, but I remember all of the hubbub around it, you know, but that didn't make me want to watch it. If I remember right, I think I've seen it later. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I have a vague, uh, notion that I just like heard about it way before I ever saw it. Yeah. But, uh, do you, Jim, you, you know, psychology, uh, a little bit. What do you know that condition where someone, uh, sees everyone as a doppelganger. Isn't there like a condition? You know, it's okay if you don't know it, but uh, I'm just um, I, seeing if you have that in your pocket for us. I I don't. I I, I don't like that type of xenophobia where you're just being. Have you guys of heard of that though? Well, it's like I have, yeah. you. It's like either a, some kind of mental disorder or like maybe even like a type of brain damage or something, where everyone you think everyone's a doppelganger. Uh, it's a thing it scares the heck out of me to, 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 for, you know, that that type of thing scares me, too, Jim. So I was just yeah. thinking, like, uh, that's one of the things I'm afraid of happening. Uh, so if anyone didn't know that's a thing, it is. So have anxiety. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Devin, save us. You had something to say. Uh, well, actually, I, I found the syndrome. It's called uh, cap, uh, oh, Capra or Cap. Capgra syndrome, also called imposter syndrome, much easier to say. Mm. Um, that's the, that's what you're thinking of. But what I was going to say was, um, I think the first time I saw this was actually like on cable or something. Like I, I recall watching it in like an environment where it wasn't necessarily like I had gone out of my way to like rent it, or it was definitely like pre, maybe not pre Netflix, but pre most streaming service that I watched it. Um, so it has been quite some time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I remember watching it kind of passively, so I didn't remember a lot of it because I think I'd been watching it like on cable, maybe even caught it after the intro was already done or something. Good, good. Yeah, it had been long enough for me that a lot of the little fun details uh, were kind of new again or whatever. Um, how about everyone else? How was is, how is your guys' viewing? I watched it when I... Um, I watched it when I was a kid so watching it again for how You're long it's kid. been yeah i mean like i wasn't like uh, like super super young but i was probably i don't know 10 i mean it's like yeah, yeah, i was still okay. young yeah but, that would be like that like, would be like the the minimum age you'd probably be able to appreciate something like this yeah so i, re- I remember watching it and and obviously it's been a while since i've seen it last um and yeah. So I had like 
watching it, I was like, I'm like, oh, I remember that. I remember these scenes. But um, it kind of felt like I was watching the movie for the first time in that sense, because it's been such a long time. And I also saw it as a kid, too. Um, and of course, my okay. impression of things is like different. So, oh, totally. um, yeah, so it was definitely fun to watch it, um, obviously, as an adult um, and be able to appreciate it more in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, this is definitely um, like it's and we've talked about this with a lot of like older movies, like it is definitely outdated in many ways. Um, it definitely doesn't hold like I don't know if this movie would pass, you know, nowadays, but it does. I understand why it got the the reception that it did and that it's still a good movie nonetheless even though it does seem outdated in, in certain ways. Well, I thought it was actually pretty progressive uh, as far as like they had all the men kind of act like pigs in this and they were all kind of predatorial uh, towards the women. But I also thought that, that was on purpose because they were trying to make a comment about it. But maybe that's not what you're talking about. Was there some other aspect that was just that felt dated to you? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, so with this movie, there is, I think, parts of it that is very intentional in in regards to like how, um, she is, you know, the leading actress is, uh, or Starling, um, is having to kind of go over, having to face all these obstacles as a, just because she's a female in regards to the men around her and the way that they frame the shots too. It's, it's very intentional. So that part is like intentional. The misogyny in that is intentional, and I get that. Um, but um, I think like certain things, like um, there's this. I don't know if you are aware of this trope it's called like the magical Negro trope, and it's very small and very slight because it's only like a few seconds. But um, like the it's only just black- the guy. Let me just guess. It's the guy that um, the guard or whatever that that she talks to yeah. before she goes into okay so yeah and he kind of like reassures her thing. yeah he yeah exactly. reassures her, says like you'll yeah. be fine you know um it's it's very minor but that's there and like also i was thinking about like obviously the serial killer being someone who's like transsexual um there's also like a long history within the media of uh villainizing trans uh gender people Absolutely. so yeah i was a little um, concerned about that too Although, yeah. I mean, but let me ask I would you say this. this is what Devin, maybe you're going to say this too, but he, he does go specifically say that he's not a real uh, transsexual. But I, yeah, I actually, yeah, I think it's, it's them kind of bucking that, that trope of, of like he specifically says, like, no, this is not, they are not a transsexual. They, their mental illness has convinced them that they are one. So he's like recognizing that that's not what's going on here, which I thought was, was actually kind of cool. Like they, they, addressed that 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 is a trope kind of in a way it's maybe an early inkling of of changing that that uh changing the tune on that um he did yeah. say that like trans people tend to be i forget what passive. The word he said passive, passive or something mm-hmm. yeah something like that however this does raise the question though that we've discussed before is like was that just their excuse to then exploit something that they knew would play for people yeah. And I mean, I also it, it did concern me a little bit, honestly. Yeah. And I didn't 
catch what Devin is referring to. So, I mean, maybe I, I missed that part, but um, I do think that I think you can still, I still think that a lot of viewers can come away watching that movie very much associating someone who's transsexual to this, the villain, to obviously the serial killer and associating those. Even hearing, even hearing that part uh, of, of it myself and noting it in my notes, I still agree with you that someone could easily come away with that, uh, vilifying trans people. So yeah, yeah, that, that could be a thing. Anyone disagree with that? Uh, no, no, uh, I don't disagree because unfortunately, trans. I mean, unless it's a a pro LGBTQ film, um, a lot of times trans people get played in all kinds of horrible ways. Um, weak, weak willed, um, aberrant, like in this case. Now, a joke. Yeah, a joke, you, you know, yeah, de definitely. And that part is harmful. And if you do it enough and you're like, you know, we don't want, you know, we don't want that, you know, in this modern day. Um, yeah. But your question, and, and I think some of this stuff is like really nuanced. Um, we had a very similar discussion a while back with uh, the movie Split as far as mental illness, but that's a conversation for another day. But you had asked, are they playing the trope for trope's sake? And I don't think so. I think that they were basing Buffalo Bill loosely on another serial killer, I think, you know, at least an okay. archetype. And just looking at the movie itself and how everything is is textured and there's more than one thing going on. So, so like I'll use the example, um, you know, with Clarice Starling, her last name being Starling. I looked that up because I knew it was a bird, but I didn't know what type of bird. And um, yeah, the murmuration it, bird, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's also a bird that's very gregarious, and it's a bird that's actually kind of a, a pestilence um, in America because. Oh, they contaminate feed trials uh, for like pigs and cattle, and um, they they will adopt and take over other bird nests. So they're really intrusive. And it was interesting that the character, the main character, had that as a last name. But when you kind of look at the fact that she's trying to break into once again, kind of an old boys club, and you see very much instances of that. Uh, but anyways, going to the to the fact of are they painting a trope as an easy way to kind of get the audience in? I I think in the context of this film, no, because there was there was a lot of details going on, and that was just an aspect um, that they had for this particular killer, if that makes sense. And these kind of subjects are not easy, definitely not easy to discuss. Y you mm -hmm. know, because it does, it is harmful for, you know, a, a segment of the, uh, the population who identify as, yeah. you know, so. And that's it. I'll add to what I said earlier. It, it was nice to see that they included specifically those couple of lines about, no, he's not a real trans and mm -hmm. that, uh, 
and transgendered people tend to be uh, passive or, or not violent or whatever. Um, it was almost it was almost like maybe a start of a turning point uh, in in that sense. So it was at least nice to see that. Sure. But uh, yeah, you were saying about serial killers. Um, I did notice the the Ted Bundy method for kidnapping was mm -hmm. in there. Yep. Um, where he feigns uh, to be injured and needs help loading something into a car. Uh, that's what Ted Bundy did and uh, successfully, scare quotes, um, uh, many times to kidnap young women. And so yeah, that was a real uh, thing. Yeah, Jeff, so there's uh, one. Jeffrey Dahmer, to a certain extent, I mean, he didn't use that Ted Bunny methodology, but he was he was kind of unassuming. I think he was a little little guy. And, uh, you know, he would lure uh, teenage, you know, young men and teenage boys into his house. And by be adopting this very unassuming manner, um, he would get them. That and, guy you did know, a good job of doing that, like playing yeah. real, like harmless. Yeah. Know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even when it was interesting with in the uh, just right at the beginning of the climax of the film, when he answers the door and it's the twist, the reveal that the FBI agent storming their house is the wrong one and that Clarice is at the correct house. He yeah. instantly goes into the mannerisms of golly gosh, shucks. And it was very yeah. convincing. The acting. This was very good. Um, the one actor that I didn't like, though. I will say that stuck out is the uh, fella. I actually have a clip of him, but he did a better job there. Uh, the guy who was trying to calm down the supposed victim. Uh, why, why don't I play that clip? Um, because that's actually his better line. Before that, it was like, boy, oh boy. This guy must have been like somebody's cousin or nephew or something. And that would be looking good. Oh, this is also, I've been quoting this movie and not realizing that I've uh, been quoting it. Uh, there's this joke I do sometimes like, oh, yeah, you look real good. That, that's from this. This is from, I'm pretty sure that's where I got this line. He's alive. Sergeant Tate, he's alive. Get a hold of him more and you can feel his hands, son. Talk to him. What do I say? It's Jim Pimmer now. Talk to him, damn it. Lecter is missing and armed. Pembry, can you hear me? He took Boyle's gun. Pembry got off one round. There's a chance Lecter was hit. Keep breathing in and out. That's it. You're doing a good job. Oh, you, you look real good there. Yeah, you look, you look real I mean, I'm convinced. Maybe I'm being hard on the guy. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's I mean, I kind of he a was... dopey character, so maybe that's just, I mean, maybe he's not like that at all, you know? Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that he's kind of played, you know, he's played as sort of a dunce, which I think is a common theme of like almost all the men in this film, which was like a whole a whole thing. Like almost all the men in this film are like woefully incompetent, just like total yeah, let's idiots. Yeah, get into that. And the women are very yeah. competent. Oh, I also wanted to say yeah. real quick about the other uh, one of the other female characters. Uh, Jim, you were saying how Starling meant something in her name. Well, there is an agent map that was her friend. Uh, and she ended up being the one to figure out where the guy was. I, I noticed that when I was reading oh, the names. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. That's a good one. Map. M-A-P-P. -P, yeah. So, you know, it's not like totally on the nose, just almost totally on the nose. But uh, yeah, the 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 gender roles in this were very specific and saying very specific things, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
the the one that I'm interested in what you guys think is Dr. Chilton. Um so uh the the doctor that was the head of the psych facility that Lecter was in and kind yeah, of let's a, start with him. Yeah, what do you what do you guys think of that character and that character arc and what was going on with him? Anthony Heald is Dr. Frederick Chilton. <laughs> um uh, are you fishing for something specific or are you just kind of curious what we thought of that guy? Um, I'm not, nothing really specific. I was, um, because it, it was interesting, interesting to me in the sense of Dr. Hannibal Lecter could run circles. I mean, you know, as far as chess, he was playing chess, 3D chess. Absolutely. With yeah. everyone around him. But absolutely. He, I don't want to say that he was afraid or or that Dr. Chilton had one upped him, but he definitely wanted to get away from him. And so, you know, um, a mastermind psychiatrist, I think he was a forensic psychiatrist or something like that. Uh, Hannibal mm -hmm. Lecter was for mm -hmm. him and a mastermind. I mean, he was just a genius for him to be wary i guess would be the correct word of dr chilton why i i just didn't understand that For exact ex exchange hannibal lecter to be wary of yeah dr. Chilton? yes wary yes. in what sense because i i mean i feel like the guy tormented him so there's that um he i guess he felt like so I, he's used to being the doctor before he was caught i'm, I'm just trying to like mm -hmm. hash this out off the off my cuff here or off the cuff. Um, so he didn't... Doctors make terrible patients, for one thing. Um, yeah. So he doesn't... I guess, you know, most killers aren't doctors, so a lot of people put doctors up on kind of a pedestal, right? And sure. uh, I don't think that was the case with Hannibal Lecter. Um, he would see him more as a peer, right? Or an adversary, a direct adversary. Um, but then doctor, the doctor was tormenting him somewhat like a child poking a hornet's nest. Um, so as far as like, um, uh, what archetype he was, um, I don't know off the top of my head, but definitely there is that kind of trope of someone who is a, a doctor in something, uh, horror movies where they tend to be skeptics or in this case, maybe just don't realize the danger they're in, right? The smart guy who doesn't realize that he's in over his head. Yeah, I don't think that Lecter was so much uh, like wary of him as you say, Jim. I think it was more, or, or maybe wary is the right word, but it was more in the way that you would be wary of a guard dog. You know, like I don't think Lecter That's saw him as, in, as intelligent at all because like we know that, mm -hmm. that Lecter doesn't speak to him, like doesn't give him anything. Right. And here here comes uh, uh, Starling who like the minute she's in there, he knows she's smarter than Chilton. Like she he instantly detects like, oh, yeah. you know more about psychology than that guy. I'll talk to you. And yeah, so it's yeah. like. I think he's really thinking of Chilton more as just like like his warden, not even you know like disregarding his intelligence entirely. He also well, reminds me of the doctor from Terminator, uh, the Terminator series, the the psychiatrist from that similar similar type, right? Well, I think. You... Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think the I think the movie. So this is I 
talk about this all the time, but I'm always thinking about how the movie wants us to feel about the different mm-hmm. characters. And okay. so I think I think the movie wanted us to dislike him because the movie wanted us, even though Lecter is played as a as a villain, the movie wants us to have some um the movie wants us to endear him to some in some way. And by making us hate this doctor character because he's such a jerk and then uh, him getting killed by Lecter is like a way for the audience to be okay with something that Lecter's doing, even though he's like a, such a villain in the movie. Yeah. That's it's sort like of how an anti-hero. Anti-hero. Yep. I mean, I, I would say that's probably true. Maybe one of the worst we've seen, at least in this uh, movie. I, I haven't seen, I vaguely, vaguely remember some of the sequels to this, but I couldn't tell you really. I remember a scene where someone was hanging in a church or something. That's about it. Oh, that's Hannibal. Oh, I, I love oh, these okay. movies. I've read the books. I've watched the movies multiple times. Oh, yeah. I was yeah Hannibal is great. Read the book. Great. Hannibal yeah, is great. Okay. I haven't seen any of them. I've always kind of assumed that they weren't like great just because like people don't talk about them nearly as much as they talk about Seven Slams, but also like also like Anthony Hopkins is in them and like he's amazing to watch. Like I can't imagine he did a bad performance in them. So I don't know. I I want to check him out. He's not capable of doing a bad performance. Yeah, he's in Hannibal and he does it great. I don't know if it's just not talked about just because it's kind of lumped in when you talk about silence of the lamb, sometimes Hannibal just becomes an extension of that. And he was phenomenal. I think he's on the loose. So it's fun to kind of watch him. And, you know, um, that was the sequel. Is that, is that right? And then the red dragon was the prequel. Red dragon was a prequel. Um, and then, uh, Hannibal rising is the prequel to that. Hannibal rising is basically a young, um, Hannibal Lecter and kind of like his origin his origin story and and, and that so one is also based though? on um yeah Hannibal is a book Hannibal Rising is a book all by Thomas Harris unfortunately okay. and maybe Thomas Harris Harris never plans to write another book I haven't researched it but if he is he's another George R. R. Martin because we want to know what happens to Hannibal after the movie Hannibal, which I won't spoil for you guys. And we're left waiting. It's been years. Yeah. They definitely, definitely set up for a sequel at the end of this movie. Oh yeah. I mean, watching him walk off into the, I I forget where they were somewhere in the Caribbean or something following, uh, uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Jerk, uh, Dr. Frederick Chilton. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was fantastic. What a great ending. Uh, Cat, we haven't heard from you. What do you think of the of the uh, gender roles in this? Let's let's go back to let's go back to that. That was interesting to me because you know I'll just kick it off real quick by saying I didn't notice a lot of the misogyny back when I watched it last decades ago, and so this time that was one of those things. Where, as you get older, you notice certain things, and that was uh, very interesting to me to see the how the gender roles played out, and every single guy hit on her in a kind of a a uh crude or creepy kind of way like they were all kind of predatory it wasn't just Hannibal Lecter yeah I mean of course like as we said earlier there's definitely intention with the way they um had the way they wrote the men in the script um 
you know, to be creepy and, and to kind of make it obvious that they only kind of viewed her as this attractive woman and not really anything else. Um, but I think there's definitely like parts about it that are more nuanced and they're more subtle and more like undertones that make me question whether it was intentional in within the writing or if it was unintentional and I know we've talked about this before in the past of like what part of um any like film when they include things like this is uh done intentionally and what what it what is not um and I think that's kind of something I just question within this film and also sure um as far as I hope general... it was intentional <laughs> because it was everywhere if it wasn't intentional yikes the nineties were yeah. worse than I remembered. No. I think the blatant, the blatant, like the the obvious things that the obvious misogynistic, sexist things were intentional. Like I, I think that's very much the case. It's more like certain undertones, certain certain like minor, small things that were said that I'm like, I'm not sure if that was intentional or not. Um, what about the touching? Every time someone touched her, it was like this close up, creepy, like. She shook the hand of the guy, even her like supposed mentor at the end, the false mentor, right? Because uh, didn't Hannibal become kind of her mentor in a way? Um, she shook her hand and kind of grabbed it in like an extra grabby, kind of creepy way. And there was other touches like that throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, I think that was probably like, because they did close-ups on that. So that's like, I feel like that's very intentional. Because um, when Han Hannibal also did that too. Um, like the finger, I don't know, their fingers touch or something. And that was very much like close up still shot. Oh, that was uh, definitely. Yeah. So he did it. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It wasn't. So every guy in this serial killer or not doctor or not. And there was a several doctors that hit on her. Come to think of it. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. even the, uh, the, is, is it, what is it? Entomologist? What are the guys that study, uh, insects called? Entomologist or entomologist, I think so. Yeah, is it is it entomologist? Enter etymology is the word. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yikes! That's the other one, or that's probably Latin. Etymology is the the words. Yeah, yeah. How words are broken in. Um, what I was gonna say was I I feel that it was very intentional because like again it's just all the things they included and like like I have never seen the male gaze so like palpably represented like even even in modern overtly feminist movies yeah they do not display the male gaze as well as they did in this film like there is a scene yes. when it's when her her uh, mentor uh asked like says like we're, we shouldn't speak about this in front of the women and they like go off into another room which was an overtly uh, misogynistic thing that he did but then immediately after when she's sitting in like standing in the room alone all the cops are like just checking her out like just blatantly checking her out and it like the shot lingers on her there like clearly to let you see, like look at all these guys checking her out, and like there's no other reason they would linger on her there for that long. Oh, if, that's not if not to be like. I didn't take that to be what was going on in that scene. Um, oh, what do you think? So, yeah, neither did I. But go ahead, Pepe. Well, I, I took it to mean that all, or the way I read it was that like all those cops were in there like protecting that girl's dead body, and then she had to like kick her she had to kick him out and they were looking at her like what the hell are you doing here oh or no, not that one where they, they leave where they were they being the wolves like not giving up the female mm -hmm. kind of thing i was she talking about the earlier the earlier scene when they're at the funeral 
and uh, the FBI agent, her mentor, comes in and wants to talk to the sheriff. And the FBI and the sheriff leave the room and leave her alone with all the cops before they get to the body. Oh, um, there's, there's like a lingering well. scene where all the cops like just kind of look at her. But I, yeah. but I remember them ogling her during the scene when they when she asked them to leave the room too, or at least some of them were. They had a pretty, pretty like, uh, kind of on the nose like checking her out or hey baby kind of there's a couple I'd, of them yeah the i'd have cops. to i'd have to go back and look at it but there was one of those two scenes i got the impression that they weren't so much checking her out as just like looking at her and just being like what is what are you gonna do here like what are why are you here it didn't, yeah you know. yeah that was oh. an impression that i got it was a different type of misogyny like euro you know, we're all men. You're a woman. You don't. You know, what do you have to do with this case? You're not going to do anything. I'm yeah. thinking now that more I'm remembering, I'm thinking it was more intentional because they even had a scene after that where the guy was being uh, the the uh, the false mentor guy. I I don't have his name in front of me. I'll have to look Jack, up. I think maybe Jack. Yeah. Is it Jack Crawford? I, Crawford. I think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack Crawford. So he he was like kind of being playful with her after that. You didn't like how I talked to you or whatever. And she's like, you know, how you talk to me matters. They look up to you and they they see how you treat me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking more yeah. intentional. And just from a director's point of view, I mean, that's the kind of direction I would say, like, at least to some of them, like, hey, you you want to have sex with her. Like you, you're hoping to score a date down the road, like that kind of intention. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was going to say that dialogue there is also really important, I think, because the way she responds to it by saying, like, those cops are looking up to you for how to act is a very different impact than her being like, it made me feel bad. Like, if she just, like, was like, yeah, yeah it made me sad when you did that, that would not hit nearly as hard as, like, no, you, you are teaching them how to be, and that's wrong. Like, that is much more addressing the issue wow. of, like, she said, masculinity. she said it in terms I would expect to hear, like, from modern times, from contemporary, like, 20, 2020s. So I, I mean, I'm in agreement that the the things that were obvious, obviously pinpointed for like, in regards to sexism, was done intentionally. I what I'm, my criticism is more on the things that, um, the framing of certain things. So for example, like I've also spoke, I've, we've talked about this in in uh, Cloverfield Lane. Or we're like, you know, mm -hmm. talking about how there's a female lead and all this stuff. And uh, that's great. And um, to have a protagonist that was this strong female, but it also becomes a double-edged sword. And there's a specific term for this, and I can't remember for it. Um, that happens with women where even in films where it's like about female empowerment, it becomes a stereotype in itself because it's also to the extreme end of what is considered to be a strong, independent woman. So this, her mm -hmm. role in this movie is also plays into that, that idea of what a strong, independent, smart woman looks like. So it's, it's, it's trying, I get the intention is trying to be good, but also it still falls short in that sense, because it also leads into a kind of thinking of what a a uh, of what a progressive or you know someone a woman a successful woman is supposed to look in 
talk like and all those things. And even the line that you're talking about with with her uh, talking to her boss and saying, hey, they look up to you. You shouldn't, you know, that's why this matters. That's also well-intended, but also she's telling him, you have to give me the, like, they will oh, only respect me as a woman if you allow it. If you don't, if okay. you don't allow it, then I, I won't be respected. And of course, like no woman should be asking another man in order for other men to respect you. Like that's, you know, I, it's, <laughs> I should respect you without another man intervening. So, um, so again, it's, it's like, it's the nuanced things. It's the things that, that is, un, that, that are like the undertones of everything. Um, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, no, I get that. And, you know, noticing that I only decoded the intentional misogyny in this viewing is telling in and of itself, I think, maybe, you know. Um, I When I watched it earlier, maybe in my teens or early 20s, that uh, was the last time I, I think I saw it. Um, I didn't pick up on any of that. So what does that tell you? It just, I read it as... Yep, that's how women are treated, right? So yeah, yeah you know, I, I recently, can see your point. I recently watched um, Thelma and Louise for the first time, and no, afterwards, yeah, in a while. Afterwards, I was reading about. Um, I was just reading a little bit about it because I wasn't. I hadn't. I wanted to read about it a little bit in order to form some thoughts about it. And someone talked about how Harvey Keitel's character in that movie, which is the cop, who's sort of like chasing them around as they drive around they that described was harvey keitel yeah harvey keitel wow. yeah yeah i really haven't seen that in a while and he's sort of on their side right the other guy is sort of like oh we gotta like take him down and all this stuff and he's he's getting the guy who's like no like let's just stop and talk to them and they just and the one of the reviews that i or one of the sort of comments about it that i read described in it described him as being benevolent benevolently sexist right because he was like I have to save these women from this situation. They can't. Yeah, like, like they remove... can't save yeah. themselves or something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and okay. at first I was like, "What the fuck is benevolent sexism?" That sounds like some bullshit to me. But uh, but is after that the term I... you were searching for, Kat? Yeah, that wasn't the term, but that I mean that makes I sense like that too term, in this okay. context. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, after I sort of thought about it for a minute and thought about what the role that his character played in the movie, I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can see that. Um, although I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, that one scene in particular where she's saying like, I, I don't know. That's a, I just feel like she's telling him is like, look, you got to be a better role model for these guys. I, I don't know if she's, I guess I could see how you could read it in the way that you're suggesting, but I don't know that. To me, that seems to be pressing it a little too far. Let me, okay, let me frame it in this sense. You can have movies, so obviously there's plenty of movies that stereotype like black people negatively, right? Like you can say like, let's have a movie that has like a stereotype of, of a black person being a thug or something like that, um, or always being like raised in the ghetto. Um, that is like so blatantly obvious, like, okay, we see a movie like that and we're like, that's a racial stereotype, that's bad. But you can also have other movies where you can have a black person that is good in the sense of like, you know, studious, does everything right, is 
you know, what we consider a, a good civilian. That can also be a bad negative stereotype because you're still putting people in certain boxes and saying that you can only fit one or the other box. And there you go. In the, in the same sense, sense in the same sense that if there was like a black person telling a white person, hey, you have to be a good example to other white people to not be racist towards me, it's still suggesting that a black person should plead to a white person in order for other white people to not be racist towards them. And so that whole dynamic should not even be the case because that's not a black person's responsibility to be asking white people for other white people to not be racist towards them. So let me ask this. Wait, wait, wait. Let me ask this real quick. How would you, or maybe you don't have an answer for this, but maybe you do. How would you frame that discussion or scene in a way that would play better for you? Um, how what would different, I? So what, different what, way which, would you characterize getting that point across without doing that thing that you're talking about that we we need to grab that word at some point? I mean, I think her just getting to the root of the of the issue would have done it. So her just telling him, "Hey, um, um." I mean, I feel like her having to explain. I just that's a I mean, that's a hard me, ask, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I no. I, hey, if anyone else has any no, ideas, I didn't. Know. Well, well, I that's can why see I'm trying it. to I'm trying to workshop this sucker. So um, yeah, go so, ahead, Jim. Well, this is the thing because we're talking about a uh, uh, we're talking about a larger um, we're talking about a larger sociological discussion, right? Like. Sure. Uh, power, right? Disenfranchised groups and stuff like that. <clears throat> and when we look at media, I and this is the thing that I have. I I feel like sometimes we need to take a step back. Not all the time. There's definitely misogyny and a bunch of bullshit that happens in you know movies and other mediums that need to be addressed for sure. But sometimes when we are advocating for social change, sometimes we can only see that rather than, well, could it be something else? So in this example, in this very specific example, when she addresses Jack Crawford and says, hey, you're a role model, I can definitely see, see your point, Kat, that she is appealing to a male figure almost like to give permission for her to be her right or to be in that space you can definitely see that but i also see the instance of that crawford represents the institution of power he is um he is a supervisor he's a leader he's got influence so uh, realms of other people look to him so i also see it as possibly she was doing that very thing that you were talking about She's reaching across the aisle by changing him. She's slightly changing the system. This very misogynistic system that is against female agents in the FBI, just a bit very specific. So I can see both angles. One is she shouldn't have to ask for permission. I can definitely see that. Agreed. But I, 
but yeah. I can also see the uh, where like what Ben has been saying. Oh, this is a very progressive film. She is reaching across the aisle and trying to change the systems themselves. And Jack Crawford Definitely is of symbolic of that system. So I, I, I'm, I'm not yeah. I'm not sure. If I might, I'm, not, I'm also not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just, I'm generally trying to understand and like maybe learn something from this. So these are hard to discuss. This is a hard subject. It is. These are hard subjects to discuss because there's a I lot genuinely, of emotion involved too. I have <laughs> apprehension about writing for women, so I want to avoid as many pitfalls as possible when I do that. And I'm actually thinking about taking on a, a female writing partner to get through some of this stuff because uh, I think there's never going to be. I'm never going to nail it 100%. There's always going to be stuff I missed. So, But if we can get to the root of something like this, that's helpful. How I saw it is like a, he was trying to, I mean, she was trying to educate him because I think it's like, it's easy to say that like, she shouldn't have to ask permission. Yeah, like like people shouldn't be sexist in a perfect world. Like, yeah, people shouldn't be sexist. They shouldn't be racist, but they are. And the only way to stop it is to, tell them that they're doing it and that was her being like you're being sexist you need to not be sexist that's like that's the only way to keep people from being sexist period that's the only way to tell them that they're doing it and stop the issue is and that's what i meant is like she didn't get to the point she had to word it in a way that was appealing to him that was still comfortable right she didn't say hey because men are sexist and they view me this way, I need you to be an example of that, right? That's not the wording that she used. She used like, hey, you're a role model, not you're a man, so they respect you. That's not the wording. She coded it. She coded it, and that's Mm -hmm. also what tends to happen in general uh, in a very real-life situations where people who are disenfranchised have to constantly code things for other mm-hmm. people to make them feel comfortable and so that's kind of what i mean and again like this could this movie could be very progressive for its time but it doesn't it doesn't pass for now and so my criticism is how am i currently how do i currently view things presently to what was seen as progressive back then and it's not to say it wasn't progressive at the time i'm not arguing against that but i'm saying it's does it falls short in, in current standards and these are the criticisms i have for it um well, so yeah. it seems like it seems like you could it seems like an argument could be made though that making that scene in that way is actually better at getting the point across there right because if you're gonna like if you want to make a movie that is the example of the world you want to see i feel like you can look past that more easily right so like if every man in this movie like treated Jodie Foster how she should have been treated right it would be easy to just watch that and be like oh yeah this is how the world is like this is because you know like hopefully you know in your head like this is how people should treat each other and so when you see that when you see the movie like being an example of what you want or like of the idea in your head how the world should be I think it's easier to like look past that sometimes but when you really hang a lampshade on it, like they did in that scene, I think you're right that that could have been that she could have made the point better, maybe. But I think like actually taking the time to have that little conversation was important because you, you know what I'm you thinking? highlight it. Yeah, they, she should have done it coded in that subservient way and then follow and then they could have escalated the scene 
where he dismisses her and then she hits him with the the straight and narrow of it and that might have been uh you know like breaking through that that barrier or whatever by just like you know hitting him with it uh within a more direct way might have been uh more interesting you know it's funny and communication is is so interesting there is um I remember like Korean airlines kept having like these airplanes crash, like way more than any other airline. And it came down to subver uh, um, subservient coding in the language of the co-pilot. Like if he noticed something wrong, he would code it in such a subservient and passive way that the captain, the pilot, uh, could easily ignore it. And And I think that it was even like, uh, there was instances mm. where the captains were like slapping the the um, co-pilots and treating them like that badly, like literally abusing them. And because of this, they had uh, planes crashing in record numbers. And so when they went and fixed it, they they fixed the language barrier problem there. They taught them to behave and and be more direct. And and now Korean airlines uh, are are on par with every every other uh, um, country as far as like the instances of planes crashing. But sorry, Kat, you had something to say there. It's just kind of an interesting side note. No, I mean, that is. Um, and and I, what, what I was just going to add is that if this was filmed in modern times, that conversation may not even have happened because maybe she would have been talking to another female. Her boss might have been a female. So the whole dynamic wouldn't have even been... Yeah, so. I I feel like the zeitgeist of this movie, though, or at least part of it, was how because I think she was deft at navigating a male-oriented organization. Mm -hmm. Um, the the zeitgeist was definitely her as a female protagonist navigating, you know, uh, a very misogynistic culture. And she had a deep drive to do it because, you know, her backstory that she talked about with Anthony Hopkins and that and that type of thing. But she did it. And the re, re, how we know she did it is she was the one that caught the killer. And, and the only one that really helped her with that was the other female agent FBI Map. agent, Agent Map. Yeah. And so yeah, they were able to, to do that. But I mean, in when she talked to uh, and the stuff that she had to endure, I mean, she got semen thrown at her, you know, she had Dr. Chilton trying to cut her off at the knees. Uh, yep. One, when he said, Hey, you've been here three times and you ha have left me like a mushroom. I don't know nothing about what is going on. And then once he taped her, then he was like, you know, I'm going to make the deal and get all the glory and you're not going to get shit. And straight up upended yeah, he her game. Threatened by her. He was yeah, he came that. out. Well, he was a small man. He yeah, definitely right. was a small man, even though he was in a prominent situation or a position. The position didn't make life. Yeah, the position didn't make the man. The the you Trump. Know, it's the man that makes the position. So, anyways, just to go back to the general tones, it definitely was a strong feel that she was navigating through this world and we see so many instances of that the know? more i think about it the more this movie was all about <clears throat> uh the gender roles i mean yep. the 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 thrilling the thriller part and the serial killer stuff like that was like the regular movie fair but it was really the subtext was all about how the men interacted with the women 
basically. Yeah. Even like Catherine then, Martin, the the victim. I mean, mm-hmm. she was like, "Hey, I'm going to save myself here." Like, you know, she may have. Yeah. I want to imagine that if if Jodie Foster didn't show up, she had his dog, and they cut that scene off. You know, I almost wanted to see it play out where she rescues herself. You know, she. I think she was headed in that direction. I think she was going to get him. She was like, I'm getting out of here, you know. She lured uh, Precious down there and and uh, was injured, and th- that scene was awesome. Um, and then, of course, they interrupted it with the action sequence. Uh, go ahead, Devin. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I also found it interesting. I realized kind of after the fact that the the protagonist and antagonist um, being, you know, Jodie Foster and, and Buffalo Bill, Buffalo Bill, you know, in a sense, wants to be a woman, um, mm-hmm. but not but not quite as is established by Hannibal. And then Jodie and her, her character in many ways wants to be a man again, not directly, but she wants to be her father. She was raised by her father. Her father dies at a pivotal age. Mm-hmm. She wants to become a cop, wants to become an FBI agent wants to be accepted in this society. And so while not, not literally, she wants to be treated as the men around her are treated. And like the, those, you That's know, the two sides of the same coin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She wants that respect and she never gets it. Not even at the end. Yeah. Every single, I mean, all of them, all of them do. They're all motivated by wanting to have sex with Jodie Foster's character. Every single rewatch it. If you disagree, I, I saw it in every scene, even the cops that left the room, the guys are giving her the 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 heavy male gaze, like, okay, we'll leave because you know I want to uh, get in your pants, you know. And that, that, that and that's to be just, the motivation for every single one. And that's just weird. I just want to be friends with Jodie Foster's character. <laughs> well, why is that? Because <laughs> she's awesome. like a- I felt like she reciprocated a little bit with the 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 bug guy. I thought she was kind of into him. I thought he took a little bit of different tact with her and that she was sort of more receptive to it. And I kind of like she that. was definitely more playful with it. Maybe she was attracted to him or something. She seemed definitely more friendly with him. Um, but I wonder if she was exploiting that to get him to kind of simp for her and, and do uh, do her bidding. But um, yeah. but I but I don't know what her motivations were. I can't say for sure. But um, I mean, he definitely was just like very forward about hitting on her, but maybe it wasn't in such a creepy way. But I don't know. I feel like if I had to, well, he was one of live the in, guys. live in the the situation where Jodie Foster is, that would just get old so fucking fast. So yeah, uh, I was just say, he, to uh, women that experience that, which is probably most of them. He was one of the few guys that wasn't in a position of authority over her. Uh, Good point. Which Good changes point. the dynamic, but. He seemed like the least creepy about it, maybe, or something, because he was, like, forward about it. But I don't know. It's still, like, there's trying to solve it. She's trying to do her work and solve the case, and it's just every there's an interruption in every fucking guy she interacts with, and it kind of yeah. just felt old to me. I think I'm that's sure he why... was a nice guy. Yeah, I think that's, it's, that's why, like, at least watching this movie, there was, like, uh, on a, like this, on a superficial level, of course, if I'm not thinking about it too deeply, like it, it was an entertaining, thrilling movie to watch. But on, you know, when I'm thinking about, you know, like the gender roles and everything, it was so much of of the movie that that's why I came out of it being kind of apprehensive, in the sense of just like I'm not really sure if I agree with, with the way they went about it, even if it was with good intentions. And I can acknowledge that there was good intentions or in that, and that it was intentional too. Um, 
so yeah and, and i think also there was one line from um from uh hannibal where he said that the women all the victims being women was in inconsequential inconsequential and that really struck me because of the fact that it's like this movie is all about females being murdered like this i mean this is clearly yeah how does that wash like it's a kind of hate crime towards women like i mean it's um so wait did hannibal say that who who said that it was inconsequential she said okay. yeah that's yeah. wash that's weird uh, now i have to go back yeah. and watch that part well i'm surprised you guys got on board so quickly with hannibal just like saying oh yeah he's not really a, a, a transsexual i i was not i thought that that was not i guess Fair. i didn't take it at face value well what do you yeah. mean well like I you think don't that... think that that was do you think he really was uh transgendered or I mean, maybe he was. I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, I guess what I mean is that, like, I think that. I think the biggest sticking point of this movie is like how we feel about feel about Bill, because at the end of this movie, like I remember the times in the past where I've watched it, I was just like, oh, this guy is like a terrifying Buffalo Bill. That I mean, he's like a terrifying guy. He does terrible things to women and he's just sort of like an all around like weirdo like he's just a weird dude right mm-hmm. um but at the end of this at the end of watching it this time I, I was like so sad for him right because you learn about you learn so much about him about how like his his family life was like so fucked up as a kid and it's just like he's not making these decisions he, he's not like a fully functioning like he's not a fully functioning person right and and we and Jodie Foster sort of made out to be a sort of a hero for like killing this guy um even though I don't know how else she I mean given the situation she was in she was about to shoot her she needed to shoot him but I feel like the movie wanted us to feel like yeah good she killed that guy he was weird he was like so different from us you know and so that's that's like that was the biggest sticking point that I have is like, how are we supposed to feel about Buffalo Bill? Um, is he just supposed to be a monster and we're supposed to not like him? Cause that's not the way I, that's not the way I felt about him at the end of the, at the when I'm finished watching this movie, I, I felt really sad about it because you see, it's like, you see this plot going along and you know that, I mean, you foresee Buffalo Bill getting killed, right? Cause he's not like, he's not going to make it out of this movie. Right. And it's just, I mean, it was just sort of like a, it was almost like a Greek tragedy in a way, because you see what's going to happen and you know, like, you know, he doesn't, or at least that's the way I felt that he doesn't deserve it, but like the stars have aligned to make it so that his fate is sealed and there's no way he can escape it. And it was just Mm. like kind of shitty at the end. Um, Well, Dr. Lecter did say that he was made, not born. Right. And, um, by the way, that scene was uh, awesome. I really enjoyed the uh, night vision scene. I had yeah. forgotten how intense that was. It kind of reminded me of uh, Wreck. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. How we were talking about that. But back in the 91, I imagine that this was a brand new thing because I remember um, that technology was sort of new-ish at the time. The night vision thing was uh, 
much well, seeing, more of a novelty. Seeing him so close to her in the dark and knowing that she doesn't know he's there. And, he's and us, toying with her. Yeah, I mean, we have the sort of, what is it, like the dramatic irony of knowing like what's going, knowing something that the character in the movie doesn't know. But all, but that knowledge is like so significant. It's so heavy because we know what he does to the people he captures, and it's just so intense. It's such, it's such a great sequence. It is. So it is. So, but I, I can go ahead, Jim. I can. Uh, I'm sorry. I know Devin. You want to say? Something. I just want to say something real quick. I can get behind everything that you said, Pepe. One hundred percent. I mean, weird people need to be loved too, right? Except for the fact. That he was putting women in holes, right? Starving them for three days, killing them, taking pieces of flesh off of them. I I, I don't know. That's a bridge too far. There. I just, yeah, what, I, no, I, I what I mean that is that just like I don't think he was in like full possession of his like mind and will, like you know. Like he's in a that we he's, don't we don't imprison people that are, who are crazy. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say that too, and I st I stopped myself. Like he's not right. a he's not like what? a healthy person. Yeah, I think that I mean I definitely agree that that the movie wants us to feel sympathy for him at least to some degree. I think that's a big reason why Hannibal Lecter exists in this movie. The the it is the, to show the difference between like here is a psychopath. Here's what a psychopath is. They are cold and calculated. They know exactly what they're doing and they're choosing to do it because they don't care. And then here is a totally different kind of criminal who is totally unstable, does not understand what they're doing and like how it affects other people. And like, you know, like these are the two types of, of mass murderers that can can be. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, and I think that while they wanted us to feel sympathy, ultimately, they, I don't think they want us to like root for him you know obviously yeah, i don't think like, sympathy was like the primary emotion that this movie wanted us to yeah. have towards him especially because it's spent especially towards the end of the movie just like showing us like like look at how weird this guy is watch this man who's like a weird kind of as he he as an actor is like an he is an odd looking guy to kind of begin with and then just like you're watching him like put on makeup dress like has the nipple piercing which at the time was probably like mind-blowing you know like ah you know mm -hmm. he's got the weird tattoos and then he he's dressed up in women's clothing and then he does the whole thing where he pushes his dick behind his legs and you know no i I know i do yeah but i'm just saying i, I don't think the movie that on this viewing yeah i don't think the movie wants before, us to. so okay yeah, well i, I don't know about I'm, that i i i I have more trouble making that leap about the movie's intentions about it. I, I didn't bring that judgment with me this time and I didn't see it. And so maybe therefore I didn't see it kind of coded into the film that I'm supposed to feel that way. Cause I didn't feel that way. Yeah. I, I thought, I the, I thought this the monstrous movie... stuff he did is monstrous, but not the makeup, not the tuck. Well, right. You know? I, like, I, but I think that, I think the point that the, I think the point of having that stuff in the movie was, to show us the audience what a fucking weirdo this guy is and not to make us feel sympathy. I for disagree. Him. I think that the way I read it was that they just presented him in a factual way. Like here's this guy, you can judge him or not, but uh, yeah, I okay. think in the nineties, people probably brought that more to the table. I did. I didn't think well, of him as anything more than the bad guy monster until this viewing. And in this well, time I, I was like, there's enough there 
for me to empathize with. Well, that's what I mean. I feel similarly, but I don't think that was the intention of the movie. I think think you lean too heavily on the intention thing, to be honest. I feel like. Well, I guess what I I guess what I you have to be careful as a filmmaker to. To bring judgment to the characters like that, you're supposed to not. I see them not judging him from the filmmaking perspective, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, okay, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not ta- making a statement about what's in the filmmaker's head. I guess I'm making a statement about what the movie conveyed to me. And it was that this movie wants me to think that this guy is a weirdo and should be, like, taken out of the gene pool. That, that I, I don't personally agree with that. I think that it was a tr- he was a tragic character, and it was sad at the end. But yeah. that's what I think the movie w- was. That is what the movie conveyed to me. I guess that's what I'll say. But it didn't, I, you're right. I shouldn't, but it didn't I shouldn't talk about what the, it. No, I, it did. <laughs> I, well, but it didn't. <laughs> right. Because you empathized with him. Right. Because I was able to step away from what the movie was telling me about him. No, I, I, I don't think so. I don't know. I, I have trouble seeing eye to eye with you on that stuff, but that's OK. I get the I get the point he's trying to make the like like you like a filmmaker can make a scary movie that they think is scary and they want to scare you and then you watch it and you laugh at it because it's so bad and not not scary at all. And it's like there can be that that disconnect. And I think that given the time period this was made in, it's it's more likely that they wanted you to be weirded out by that stuff than all not. Right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's more likely. I think they were trying to just present as it was. Look, in a movie like here, just to make like a more extreme example, just to show you, I get it what you're saying, Pepe, because that does happen sometimes. I just don't think it happened here. I think personally, I, I could be wrong, um, but like a movie like Dodgeball. Okay, have we all seen Dodgeball? <laughs> like yeah, Ben Stiller's uh, character, are supposed to think he's an asshole. Okay, like that's coded in. Yeah, I right. mean that's a pretty extreme example, but just to show you, I get where you're coming from. Ben Stiller was supposed to be an asshole in Dodgeball. Right. Yeah. But in this, right. I just think that maybe there was more nuance to it. I don't know. I, yeah. don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm not saying you're wrong for sure or whatever. I'm just saying I didn't I, I just maybe didn't see it that way. OK, I mean, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I that, that's that's perfectly OK. I mean, different different people read things different ways. And so but the, I guess the, the point of me bringing up that up was that that was the big sticking point of this movie for me. I, if if there is something. If, if I can if I can ding this movie at all, it would because it would be because of their portrayal of him. And I think that they wanted to. I, I mean, I, I think that they did. I mean, they, they they the movie wouldn't have told us about his like tragic childhood if they didn't want us to have some sympathy for him. But I think that they're I think what the movie wanted to elicit from us uh, towards him was basically just like horror um just repulsion repulsion rather than primarily i would say i think that they probably did know that a lot of people would read it that way i think they at least understood that and i think they understood that other people maybe transgender people would not see that stuff as weird or creepy um or people who understood that more and that's probably why i read it differently when i brought my you know my present self to the viewing i definitely saw that character is different um yeah you know having evolved 
as a person myself. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think that on my previous viewings, I probably wouldn't have been wouldn't have had these thoughts. But since it's such it, since it's become such a huge issue over the right. last years, then it's like, well, you can't ignore it anymore. You know, you have to think about like, how does this movie make me feel about this character? Speaking of of how he's portrayed and uh, like shifting to another weird thing. Um, did you guys notice the swastikas in this movie? Yeah, yeah the swastikas. They're very yeah. subtle. I, I almost feel like maybe the, that in like the edit room, some of them were kind of taken out or like for some reason they couldn't show them for very long. But like there's two flashes. He has like a quilt on his bed that has like swastika stitched into it literally on screen for like two seconds, if, if that. Uh -huh. And then another point, there's like a printed out poster for some kind of event that has swastikas on it as well. Yeah. Um, not yeah again not something they really played up which makes which is what makes me think maybe it got edited out but it was weird well, yeah. do you think the thing that got edited out was the significance of that yeah symbolic? like something that overtly was like this guy's a nazi like you know yeah, something they wanted that to make sense. him more easier to dislike and so they're like ah well yeah. he'll just have some he'll well, be a nazi kind of, too that kind of supports what you were saying then Bethe. i mean i do think that they knew that people would read it that, that way so, but I don't know if, I guess the part that I have trouble with is they want you to do that. I don't know if the want part is there, but I think yeah, they're I guess, aware of how people will read it or the majority even at the time in the 90s would read it. Well, speaking about what is in people's heads, I do that uh -huh. as a sort of shorthand. But what I really mean sure. is that what I thought that the movie was trying to convey to me was this. I, that he was I a weirdo. Yeah. And, I, and like I said, I can't tell you what is in their head and what their intention was. I could only... Like, that's why this is important, because we all have this text in common and we talk about what it conveyed to us. And we we like argue about it and try to suss well, out what, what the point was. Yeah, well, I guess my issue with that is there's a difference between what we bring to it and what. Like saying that they, that's what you think they want you to think, I, I just have trouble with that because it's it just doesn't translate to how I see filmmaking it's just not that's the exact wrong thing that you want to do unless maybe you're in a kind of a ben stiller kind of movie where you're playing cliches because that's like the that's like the fast that's all cliche, over this like. but like well but no i mean like that kind of signaling in movies is like the art of it like like there's like no one feels ambiguously about jodie foster's character no one feels ambiguously about the asshole doctor's character and no one really i mean maybe you feel ambiguously about hannibal's character just because you're like well he's so kind of he has this sort of like charis charisma that even though you think he's a monster you kind of like him right like maybe there's that ambiguity but i mean like the way you feel towards characters is like a huge tool in movie in movie making i, I feel like there's you, intention there yeah i mean so that's that's what i that's so maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying then, because I feel like, like, you have to you have to put that into your movie. Like, how do I want the audience to feel about this character? Do I want them to like them? Do I want them to not like them? Like that, I maybe I'm just completely wrong about this. You obviously have no. More... I don't think you are. I think we just come at it from two different angles, and it's harder for me to translate that into behind the camera making a thing like that. I I it is a really serious thing to try to avoid like judging characters in that sense because it ruins it it like ruins the it ruins the cake or whatever you know you're salting the cake that way that's a, that's a terrible way to put it but i mean it it, it just ruins the dish uh, i think that 
I think overall the writers of the film like recognize that a a pure evil villain is boring. That's like a common like if your villain's just like absolutely unredeemable, it's boring. So they wanted to put some things in there to muddy the waters so that you weren't just like hate this guy, hate this guy, hate this guy the whole film. Well, also, you know, this this movie was made in 91 when they were still uh for the most part putting a lot of characterization you know, little instances of this and that. And uh, I personally, I find Jamie Gunn, you know, that Buffalo uh, Bill to be reprehensible. And, um, and in the scenes where he's applying the makeup and he's tucking and dancing around, it's eerie. And why is it eerie? Because the very first scene we get of Jamie Gum is him luring that woman into that band and smacking her around to kidnap her. So it makes everything else, those little nuances and you know characterizations, eerie. Because we know what he is at his base self. He's a monster. Whether he was created or he was made, I mean, a Tascadero is filled with people like this. The criminally insane. Regardless of whether they were created, they're a menace to society, you know? Um, and so I have very little empathy, but it is interesting. And as a movie, as an art, I mean, people talk about Buffalo Bill to this day. It puts lotion on its skin. Um, right, yeah. You know, would you fuck me? I totally I'd that fuck line, me. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. those are interesting. Buffalo Bill is a very iconic character. There is no one else like him in movies that I could name. You, you know what I mean? So it was really interesting. It was really signature. Um, as far as the swastika, I can see that as an easy rub to hate him more. But I want to think that if digging a little deeper, someone who doesn't feel like they belong in the world, that's a complete outsider a lot of times we'll find um and, and we know this now in the age of the internet because it's so much easier to find these groups they'll find these fringe groups of other outsiders and they may not necessarily That's ascribe true. to the to the ethics of it but it's that i don't know that that group or even uh you know a further way also because if this guy was also insane it might be another way to be a chameleon, you know, a wolf among the sheep or a wolf among the crowd, you, you know, to have some type of allegiance to these groups. So, and that was just a two second blurb. Um, this movie really reminds me of now that we've seen it, you know, way after it was created of Mindhunter, the series on Netflix, which is really good. Oh, yeah, I love that yeah. series. Yeah, That's super good. That clearly drew some inspiration from. Oh yeah, of the Lambs. Yeah, it's such a good series. I mean, yeah, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Tons of things. I think the entire. I mean, I I don't know the the whole like history of sort of FBI investigation focused films, but like the idea of being so obsessed with the criminal mind seems like it, you know totally yeah. could have came from this movie like alone, and like how like how many films and, and shows have I seen that have done the whole like fake out you know we're seeing inside of one building and then 
people approaching another building and we think it's the same yeah. building, but then it's not like I, like half the episodes of Bones end that way. Like that's, you know, like it's like it's such a common trope now, especially with cop TV shows that, uh, yeah, this this film seems like it totally changed the landscape for how we feud um, police and, and yeah. FBI based drama and, and serial killers. I mean, you know, in Hannibal, uh, Anthony Hopkins takes more of a, a, a more central role uh, to a certain extent. But Dexter, you know, where the serial killer becomes the protagonist, I can definitely see Dexter, you, you know, um, born from, you know, a seed that oh, was yeah. influenced by this. Yeah. They have a new season of that coming out, I heard. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. The last one was so bad. They're like, oh, we have to do a makeup one. I I think it's Dexter years later. What, what however yeah. it ended, I didn't watch the ending. I think I got to season three Good on that. You. But um I'm a yeah. I'm a Dexter final season apologist, but that's for a different podcast. I like the final season of Dexter. <laughs> I, love I love that you love the final season. Okay, well we'll get to that on the other podcast. Let me offer kind of an olive branch to you though, Pepe. I think that yeah, they were aware that his behavior would be read as weird. And so therefore that could be ascribed as uh, some kind of intention or how, or how you were saying it, how they want you to feel, or at least how they're aware of most people reading it. I guess um, maybe why I want to like, why I feel uncomfortable with that is because of just when you're filmmaking, if you look directly at that, you're going to go cliche so fast that you have to avoid thinking about it and judging. So you have to be careful in that sense. And then like as a as a viewer, maybe like when you watch the thing, um, maybe it's less important or maybe I'm less interested in that, like what the filmmakers wanted me to feel rather than what I took away because it's it's kind of more interesting to me like how my how at least like this time um how different this movie was when i watched it like that i thought Mm -hmm. that was more fascinating i thought it was more fascinating that you empathized with uh buffalo bill's character too and i did as well like that i totally felt you on um i i never i he was very two-dimensional when i was bringing those judgments to the film rather than watching it now and um just seeing that there was depth there that i didn't see before I guess that that would seem to be like more interesting. But uh, unless you have something else to say, I had an, another comment. No, I mean, I think I think I, I think that's we well beat said. that horse yeah. to death. OK, good. OK, well, no, so- I mean, I think that I, I think that you're right. I mean, I think that as as a creator, you obviously have ideas about how you want. I, I don't know, maybe not. I, I was going to say I. I I guess you you know that people are going to look at your thing, and if you want to elicit a certain thing from them, you you take steps I want to, Han Solo to achieve to be cool, that. I guess, right? Right? Yeah. If you want Han Solo to be cool, but then you make Solo, you're going to fuck it up. You know. That that's what I'm talking about. I'm choking on my yeah, Mountain Dew. Yeah. That was a Mountain Don't. Um, mm-hmm. But I but, but I think uh, like but but that's that seems to me to be the difference between a person who is who does who is like a good artist and a bad artist or something. It's like, you can, but that's convey... what you said earlier. In fact, what, how was it? You said that that was the God. I, I want to rewind and listen to what you said. Do you remember? No. What, what was God, it about? Yeah. About this, like that's the essence of the thing or the, the trick or whatever is doing that or whatever. 
You said it very eloquently. Oh, well, okay. Who watches back and chat a lot? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, You said it so well. So anyone watching this, rewind. and and, and, Because I think that really hit the nail on the head. Like, it's really about that thing, that elusive thing that you want to do. How do you get there? Well, you don't get there by consciously being like, I want Han Solo to be cool. So let's do cool. Let me write cool things in there. Yeah, right. Or the actors should. Or I tell the actor to act cool or something, you know? Well, that's also that's like all. a show don't tell thing, right? Like that's like ter- like every character in a Tarantino movie is so, such a cool guy, but it's not he does it in the way that it's like, oh, okay, these are just like you you he's showing you rather than telling you, right? He, he's yeah. So anyway, except when he talks about Fonzie, because what's Fonzie like? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's cool. <laughs> So uh, quid pro quo, probably one of the finest achievements in getting out exposition in a way that keeps the audience riveted. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, that's a good point. I thought that was pretty, pretty good. But what does uh, quid pro quo actually mean in Latin? Anybody? Do you know this one? Uh, this for that or uh-huh. that for this. You. Awesome. Aced it. Nice job. This for that. Okay. That's a that's a, such a direct translation. I love those little... Uh, uh, Maxisms or whatever they're called. Maxism? That's not that's not the right word, is it? You you're thinking of Maxim? Maxim, yeah, thank you. And and not like, the Maxim. I've almost been up for a whole day. Yeah. <laughs> I have a subscription <laughs> to that. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> no, is, is that like a GQ type? I don't. Is that like no, a it's GQ like magazine? that's like a softcore that's porn magazine. magazine. Yeah. It's a fashion oh, okay, magazine, sorry. but it's just like women in underwear. Or per straight men. Oh, oh yeah. Geez. Yeah. I didn't even know that. It's like yeah. sports no, illustrated. I'll stick to, I think isn't uh, on that on that note let's uh since this is just popping into my head and i'm super exhausted isn't like victoria's secret like closing down or something because they're like oh we're in the is wrong it? era now or they're changing huh. their whole image store or something do women not want to look sexy anymore well they own pink right i, I think it was is just pink their... closing down too yeah i don't know i'm just i'm pulling that out of a hazy memory oh. a purple hazy memory so who knows you're off the rails ben Let's yeah, get this I'm train totally back on the tracks. Place. I know. <laughs> Turning into the uh, the actual terrible Secret, secrets of this. the lamb. Is that what we were doing? Why don't I? Okay. Let, why don't I give uh, give it up for my, my mentor, friend, teacher, and uh, show a couple of clips uh, of her lovely acting that she does in this. She's she's a kick ass senator. I totally bought it. I've actually met a senator. Um, uh, what's the senator from Michigan that ran for president? Klobuchar? Yes, Klobuchar. I met her and it was, it's interesting because they, senators, at least her, uh, definitely had a kind of a heady I tend to not be uh, intimidated all that often but i found myself almost speechless uh being hmm. in in the presence of someone like that uh, I, I guess you'd probably get used to it um but i guess that was one of the only times i uh, rare times i've been starstruck even within the industry it's, it feels like with actors or whatever i like to think that i think of them more as like peers that i would want to work with uh just because i know they're just real people they tend to get uh you know elevated but it was i wasn't mm-hmm. expecting that i found myself quite speechless when i met her um and so i think that diane baker does a great job of bringing that gravitas to uh, her role here 
Just moments ago, Senator Martin takes this dramatic personal plea. I'm speaking now to the person who's holding my daughter. Catherine is very gentle and kind. Talk to her and you'll see. You have the power. You are in charge. I know you can feel love and compassion. You have a wonderful chance to show the whole world that you can be merciful as well as strong. That you're big enough to treat Catherine better than the world has treated you. You have that power. Please. My daughter is Catherine. Boy, that's smart. Release her unharmed. Jesus, that's really smart. Anywhere she keeps repeating country. the name. And I promise she you. She sees Catherine as a person and not just an object. It's harder to tear her up. Please. Release my little girl. <laughs> that also reminded me of that movie Volleyball. Um, it's almost like they were doing the like, wow, did you see that move, Cotton? <laughs> yeah, that was a good way to do the exposition there, too. But uh, yeah, yeah I, so, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, that's actually one of those lines that kind of, I, I don't know, it kind of graded me the way they like had to have Jodie Foster's character be like, oh, that was really smart. Like kind of explain to us why that was like a good thing for the senator to do. And like didn't, like movie didn't trust us to like pick up on the fact that that was like a smart thing to do to humanize the, the victim. And it's it like, you know, they got to have a character. It's like, I, yeah, okay, I could have gotten that. <laughs> I, I forgave it because I, and I remember having this thought, I assumed that, well, in 91, probably people didn't know that stuff. Um, but yeah, it seemed maybe. to me like kind of common knowledge or I've seen it enough now in movies or whatever that I'm, I know that humanizing is like a tactic that works or can work mm -hmm. or whatever. But so that was her butterfly and her being the politician. So here's her B when she's going uh, head to head with Anthony Hopkins and doing a fine job. Buffalo Bill's real name is Lewis Friend. I met him just once. He was referred to me in April or May 1980 by my patient Benjamin Raspell. They were lovers, you see. But Raspell had become very frightened. Apparently, Lewis had murdered a transient and done things with the skin. We need his address and a physical description. Tell me, Senator, did you nurse Catherine yourself? What? Did you breastfeed her? Now, wait a minute. Yes, I did. Toughened your nipples, didn't it? Oh, son of a bitch. Amputate a man's leg and he can still feel it tickling. Tell me, Mom, when your little girl is on the slab, where will it tickle you? Take this thing back to Baltimore. Five for ten, strongly built, about 180 pounds. Hair blonde, eyes pale blue. That's an acting, you call that a dismissal. And um, if you ever do that to someone in real life, there's actually a game you play where you look at someone in the eyes and then look away and, and just like play off each other. And that it's kind of an acting exercise. If you ever go to someone and actually bust that on them, they'll get super pissed. It's just like an ingrained human emotion. Nobody likes being dismissed. Um, mm -hmm. And so that did get a reaction out of Anthony Hawkins. So well done. Um, and... Um, go to unless you guys had anything else to, to well, add. I, I was just going to say so that's very interesting and I didn't see it until you just played the clip but there is very much a power exchange between Jodie Foster 
and Hannibal Lecter. And I would say Jodie Foster wins, right? Because she gets the goal. In the same way, the female senator and uh, Hannibal Lecter are power exchange once again, because Hannibal has something that she wants. And she doesn't, like, the men are like, how dare you? You know, they're white knighting, like, you know, we're going to protect the senator, right. we're going to protect this woman. Benevolent sexism. And she's like, wait a minute. Yes, because there's something that she wants, and she's got her eyes on the prize. Um, and she wins that exchange. Yeah, she so stuck I thought it out. that was interesting. Yeah. She kept her, uh, her higher uh, status, yeah, and composure. So mm -hmm. she did win that, uh, and it was a good, it was one of my favorite scenes. And it was longer than that. I don't want to play a whole like, five-minute mm -hmm. scene, but it was one of my favorite scenes. At the same time, though, Jim, uh -huh. Hannibal still kind of wins both of those in the end because his interaction with the senator gets him in a different cell where he can escape. And then his interactions with Jody Foster too. eventually also allows him to escape. So uh, he, was know, way, he was playing the long game. game. Yeah, yeah, he was playing <laughs> his own game. Well, they all got what they wanted, right? Win-win. <laughs> yeah. Everyone got what they wanted except for Buffalo Bill, so he was he was the tragic character for sure. Uh, <laughs> along with the uh, women that oh, what wasn't one of the most horrifying? Let's talk about some gore and stuff, some gorifying stuff. When she when the when he was doing the lotion and skin thing, and I'll play that clip in a second, maybe. Yes. Um, but um, when she looked up and realized that the and we had been that knowledge had been planted earlier, where we know that the victim mm -hmm. had lost two nails, and then we see her bloody nails like sitting. And the on the wall of that like pit or whatever that she had like yeah. was so desperate to get out of there that she had scraped off her own fingertips trying to get out of there. That was so horrifying to me. Uh, that, I, that moment never landed like as heavy as it did that time. Yeah, something about fingernails and teeth. I feel like oh, are the God, most yeah. when it comes to like injuries or gore in movies. Those are always you the worst because it, right? it's just like yeah. Oh, this movie was there the any... movie's so good at hyping up uh hannibal lecter and and uh buffalo bill there it's so good yeah. the movie's such a good hype man hype man for those two characters that <laughs> you're so terrified of them that just like like that that moment when you realize hannibal lecter is out of his handcuffs you're just like oh these cops are fucked everything's yep. fucked all oh, these God, guys are fucked a good scene. oh yeah. man it's then, so scary then, they layer in these excellent twists that I wish I didn't know were coming because they're so good. Yeah. And I yeah. was almost hoping that one of us hadn't seen this before so that I could ask how it played for him because I don't remember how impactful it was, you know, so I don't even want to say yeah. how many years ago when I first saw this on VHS. Uh, well, know, they, on the they, 4-3 TV at home. They do the thing, too, that you mentioned before where it's like if you tell a joke on screen the people in the movie better laugh at it, right? Oh, uh, the, if the if you have the people in the movie laughing, you better make sure that the audience is going to laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like they were doing something similar because everybody in the movie was scared of Lecter. They were just like, yeah, shaking yeah. in their yeah, boots yeah. about him, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, because that, that makes the audience scared of him, too. You know, it definitely paid off. Yeah, yeah, just just the like, just 
just the whole yeah. sequence building up to his escape, I feel like should be like studied for like in terms of setup, setup and payoff. Like that's like a masterclass the way like he sees the pen and all like we don't see him take the pen. We don't know for sure he has mm-hmm. it, but we see him see it. Yep. And then we see the guy lit a whole nother scene like minutes later, can't find his pen. We're yep. like, oh, Hannibal got the pen. And then it's like like another like five minutes later, then we see him handcuffing him and he pulls the pin out of his mouth and it's like, oh, he has the pin. Like it, it builds up so beautifully. It takes like that whole sequence takes like 35, yeah. 40 minutes of the film to like get each little element displayed up to the to the breakout sequence. It's so this, beautiful. This oh. is some this is some movie making and some writing. I should give credit there. Uh, and I'll, let me ask you, Jim, if that was in the book or not. It was patient and confident in how it was going to play out. And, and I trusted the movie. And, um, and was rewarded for that trust. Uh, again, that short-term and long-term memory. <laughs> I, I read the book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll probably end up reading it again sometime in the future, but I didn't. Um, there was also that uh, scene, Devin, when um, uh, Dr. Chilton is talking to uh, Jodie Foster, and he's saying, no pens, no paper clips, no. Yeah. And then he freaking made yeah. his, he made, he made the very mistake he was telling her, her not to do. But this open up, not only is it a payoff for the movie, but it sets up the backdrop to a whole nother movie. It's excellent. Like, Hannibal out in the wild is excellent. <laughs> that whole, yeah, that whole sequence of, uh, for sure. the uh, whole sequence of him walking her down into the, like, depths of that of that hospital yeah. and him like uh it's such an anxiety inducing sequence yeah. because love he's that. right he's beginning like you are we're you're already anxious about him because he's a prick and and you don't like him but you do like starling right and so there's already just like them two being together and interacting is just like ah oh, god i wish this wasn't happening to this character that i like but then him just like rattling off all of these things about what you can and can't do to this man who's in a glass box, you know, who's like, yeah. oh man. And then, and then seeing her just be so scared and like her not wanting to get close to the glass, you know, oh man, it's yep, such a, yep. it's he, so he's like good. Closer. He, he, yeah. he urges her to come closer and he knows he's scaring her and he likes it. Uh, I think, um, yeah, that whole setup is great. Isn't he like a Batman level villain or maybe even surpassing that? Like this is a guy who you would almost expect to see or you might call a super villain. In oh, that sense. Yeah, as far as you can push it and still feel like it's grounded in reality, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good. I mean like the the thi- where he shows where he shows her the picture too and it's just like, "Oh, I wonder what that picture is," you know, and they don't show it. So you don't know. <laughs> oh man, it's such a good build up. And then you he, he, she has she has to walk past all those other guys and you're like, "Fuck, what did these other guys do?" you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, and they went there too with some gross yeah, stuff that stuff, you still yeah. believe would happen but i was like it actually gave me a little bit of confidence because it's like well like can you write this stuff and and will it play like like you almost feel guilty writing a scene like that okay even though it's like inevitably or not inevitably but in, at least in this case it works you know and it, yeah and right it, and it, it doesn't like hurt it it's like you know that's probably something that some sicko would do you know and Subsequently, I've seen shows about prison where guys do that to female yeah. guards or whatever. 
or like visitors oh, yeah. or whatever. So it's a thing, you know, but they went there and, and, and like the tuck scene was another went there moment, you know, and I was like, all right, well, that kind of emboldened me to like write things like that, you know, so long as they uh, work within the context of the film and actually add to it, you know, rather than mm -hmm. just trying to trying to like put that stuff in there just for shocks uh, for shock value. Yeah. yeah. And the the comeuppance that 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 guy gets too is amazing. That that yeah, animal talks you did him to death. Oh, so good. The Just, come up oh my god, that was accidental. That was not intended. Talking about a Batman that was good. villain. So, but good. yeah, that he could just talk to him and convince him to to swallow his own himself. tongue. Yeah, yeah that, not just insane. kill himself. Swallow your own tongue. I know. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Like, he's almost supernatural. He's like the supernatural. But that where's Lecter? Where is he? But that also Batman's added. Here. That also added that anti-hero element. Um, they they were able to establish a little right, bit exactly. about that because he. And uh, Hannibal doesn't just kill indiscriminately. Um, his select, which you would see it in the later uh, movie, but he selects his victims along certain lines, and he's got a he's got a code. Oh, okay, All yeah, right. he's got a code of, of sorts. So. See, this is the part where the author probably already knew all that code and just didn't mm -hmm. put it into the text. And then now, since it took off and was popular and he, you know, he probably already had planned to write sequels anyway, like he took mm -hmm. his, was able to take his time then and and um, kind of explore that stuff, you know, overtly. I love that. Yeah. Hannibal being such a like, like cool character makes it hard to like, like one of the things that, that about cool. this movie that. Yeah, like I, I don't really I didn't really feel scared at all. Like I don't I don't feel like it's a scary movie just because like I don't know, I watch Hannibal like I would watch a TED talk. Like I'm hanging on every word. I think it's like just interesting to listen to him. And it's like and, and I mean like Buffalo Bill is is scary in a sense, but it's like we don't see him do a lot of like truly terrifying things. Like we like even when he beats the woman unconscious, it's like off screen. He's in the van, you just hear it. Uh -huh. And like, and then you see the aftermath of her trying to claw her way out, but you don't actually see her trying to do it. And so like a lot of his most like heinous things that he does are not like shown to us at all. We don't see him skinning anyone. That's you know, it's all point. aftermath. No. And I was, I was actually, I noticed things like that more on this viewing as well. Um, I think this is the first time I've seen it since I went to film school. So I, I did notice more like what they showed and what they chose not to show. Uh, another one yeah. was when they were like uh, getting into the cadaver and like looking it over. They didn't show a lot, whereas like I think maybe I would have expected them to show that just for more like to be more gross or whatever. But they only showed the parts they needed to. Mm -hmm. um, and that was almost worse. And then when they what they did show was them like the mouth, like they'd show a close up of the mouth or a close up of the hand. And yeah. then, you know, they pull the bug out and uh, the, the moth out of the, her mouth or whatever. So that was interesting to me, too. And yeah, what gore they showed and what they didn't. It was all very calculated, I think. Yeah, it felt it was more it was more atmospherically scary yeah. than it was more overtly than scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right. There was that like duality where it was like, yeah, he's a terrifying guy. But damn, is he interesting to listen to? Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, I'm going to just play one more clip because we're like going pretty long here. Um, <laughs> so I'll just I'll just play the last. Clip. How about that? There's so much. A lot of people have seen this anyway, but this is always a fun one to go out on. So spoiler alert. This is the ending that mm. definitely sets up for an awesome sequel. 
Starling. Well, Clarice, have the lambs stopped screaming? Doctor Lecter. Don't bother with the trace. I won't be on long enough. Where are you, Doctor Lecter? I have no plans to call on you, Clarice. The world's more interesting with you in it. So you take care now to extend me the same courtesy. You know I can't make that promise. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Doctor Lecter. Doctor Lecter. Doctor Lecter. Doctor Lecter. Uh, old friend for dinner. He who would pun would pick a pocket. <laughs> Murray. What, Was that what a, a good way? Yeah, there you go. Thank Murray. you. Oh, Epic. Awesome. You had so much in <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. What, what a good way to keep someone from to keep someone from tracing your call. Just be like, hey, don't trace it. Don't bother. Like, you yeah, just right. say that. Right. Was, I, yeah. I don't know <laughs> just, anything about how call tracing really works. I bet it's a lot faster today than it was back then. Yeah. But if there I was always like, and, like calling they someone. They always just... do that. That's a trope where they like time it. Like, oh, he wasn't on long enough to trace it. And some mm-hmm. movies yeah. where you're like really bad where they'd actually show it like a like on a computer screen. It's like, like slowly oh, zooming in. Yeah. Over a map or <laughs> yeah. something, you know, like, oh, well, is it in uh, Albuquerque? Is it in uh, Sheboygan? Is it in Chattanooga? It, it's almost as that's almost as bad as the enhanced cliche. Yeah, right. The enhanced. Yeah. That? What was which that? is not a cli- which is real now, actually. The AI enhanced. Yeah, I guess sort of. Yeah. No, I mean, it, you know, I enhanced an old movie of mine, and it was like, wow. I guess like that's a thing now, because that always bothered me so much, and it's like, shit. I guess we really have that now. Um, it's not as uh, as as clean as they ever show it in any movies. And they, <laughs> yeah. It's, they kind of the funny thing is they don't do that as much anymore because I think people got sick of that, but the fact that it's real now is almost kind of. I, I'm wondering if we'll start seeing it again. It'll be a big win. Well, they, they just won't do it as silly as they did it in, in Blade God, Runner. In like hackers. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was Blade Runner the first one. That yeah, did I think it was Blade, Blade Runner. Blade Runner is the first one that did everything. I finally saw the Blade Runner 2049 uh, a couple days ago for the first time. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That had been on my homework list for a long time. It was good. I didn't think the ending, was, the ending was not as good as the first one. But uh, there was a lot of great stuff in there. Um, anyway, so have we uh, exhausted uh, the lambs? Are they sleeping silently? <laughs> I think so. At least for now, I suppose. Yeah, that one is snoring. Yeah, exactly. I- ironically, so we didn't talk about the awaken. we didn't talk about the lambs at all. But I don't want to start a whole nother. <laughs> no, I, you know what I like about our conversation tonight <laughs> is that we didn't go to the cliche silence of the lambs conversation. So we're breaking new ground here. Lambs yeah. be damned. Yeah. Damn no, the, the surface stuff has been. I've heard all that. I t- got a lot of new stuff out of this in this viewing that I didn't expect at all. Uh, the subtext nice. I, was clearly, I think, there that I wasn't reading before. So very cool. Um, anyone else have any final thoughts before we uh, mosey on over to the commercial break? Silence of the Lambs. Good movie. I'll just say that. Just fast forward to this. Good movie. Yeah, my board's doing this thing again. Hang on. It must have like done an up update, and now it works in a way that I don't want it to work. So now I'm gonna like email the devs and be like, "Don't switch a screen unless I won't tell it to. It shouldn't just switch." 
you guys obviously care deeply about this. <laughs> You're right, man. It shouldn't just switch. <laughs> okay, that's not what I was looking for. Uh, all right. Um, there it is. Okay. Uh, okay, so hopefully we have enough to calculate our grades for our final grades for this. But before we uh, state those grades, we have time for a short commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello, lookers. You know, after a great conversation like that, it's only natural to feel a bit peckish. Don't hesitate to reach out and grasp your phone and say, Bonjour, j'ai une réservation pour un sous le nom de Annabelle Lecter. And we <laughs> will rush you a succulent meal from Silent Lamb Catering. At Silent Lamb, we offer a three-course meal of exquisite French cuisine that will leave your entire party dying for more. Featuring an entree of exotic skinned meat served rare with fava beans and paired with a nice Chianti to wash it all down. Have a hankering for dessert? Try our signature blood pudding, a real piece de resistance. It's so sinful, we should be brought up on charges. Mwah! Bon appétit. Side effects include extreme violence, psychopathy, cannibalism, and an ever-growing void inside your soul that can only be filled through serial murder. Lamb catering. Killer food. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, whenever, I did the thing. whenever I watch TV, I always mute the commercials, but I never mute these commercials. <laughs> also, a lot of our sponsor, a lot of the products our sponsors are hawking have side effects. <laughs> yeah, just like all American products. Yeah. yeah. No, I yeah. seriously, I'm, I'm haunted by every. I never want to take any like prescription drug now because of those commercials. They're just all so horrifying. Right. If the, every once in a while there's one that's like side effects include, you know, maybe a headache. I'm like, damn, they got a good one there. <laughs> only only a headache? Wow. I'm I'm on it. Alright, I don't want to skin a dead horse and wear it and become a Bojack horseman here. Uh, so I'll just give Silence of the Lambs an A and and keep silent. Uh, Kat, what did you think of this one? Um, I'm going to give it a B plus just because, like I said, I think it's a really great, uh, thrilling movie. And obviously I understand why I got the positive reception that it did and performance is awesome. Um, but yeah, there's definitely things about it that I just, you know, again, I question and I'm apprehensive about. Yep. I hear you on that. And, um, I think they're making like, they're either doing like a show or they did a show like a contemporary show. I'd almost be curious how to see how they handled it. Did you guys know about this? Yeah, shut uh, up about it, Ben. Someone might be recommending it later in the show. Oh, shit. Yeah. Is there... Oh, oh yeah. wait. It's... No, but there's not there a show called Clarice, though, specifically? Oh, there is There is oh. a newer one called Clarice, yeah. Or is it a show, uh, right? Huh. Not a movie? Yeah, it's a show. It's a show, yeah. Okay, so I guess my point is about Clarice specifically um i'll be curious now after our conversation cat to see how they handle her character because i think it's supposed to take place either i think like after this like directly it's like supposed to be her sequel or something oh wow what my understanding is yeah yeah looks they, good. they do they do spend a lot more time with the like social issues yeah because her her friend uh get it gets a lot more screen time and they talk about 
like what it's like to be african-american in the fbi yeah 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 okay huh. cool all right so i didn't realize it was out i thought it was coming out so i'll definitely have to check that out i'm very curious now yeah the i think um, the first season is complete at this point i think i see yeah. okay i'll definitely i'll go to just watch and, and figure out where that's at cool okay so we got an a and a b plus um mr devin schwartz what do you got for us on the grade um, I, I don't think I could give this anything other than an A. Um, I absolutely loved it. I think if all horror movies were like this, I could I could comfortably watch a lot more horror movies. <laughs> it's insane to me. Horror. It's insane. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You just got to understand, Devin. Understand, I Devin. So. I don't. Yeah. That's why I knew he would like Breck. I knew it. What's going on in that noggin of his? I know. I it's a mystery. I contain, what it's I contain I, multitudes. I, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. they need, they need All right. Well, it, it's it drives oh, me forward to do more episodes of the show, so that's good. All right. So uh, James <laughs> Pepe, my good friend James Pepe, what do you got for us on the grade for Silence of the Lambs? Yeah, you know, I was I was hemming and hawing over A or A minus for this, but I think mm -hmm. that this, I think that this movie is just sort of. I, I think it's like good it's gooditude overcomes its baditudes. It's, it's more than the sum of its parts. Uh, so I think I'm going to have to give it an A. Yeah. This felt almost like a, a Pepe movie. If we were trying to set a Pepe movie in the nineties. Yeah. If that means anything. So, um, it means something to me, means. Ben, it means something Good. to me. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure that out later as well. We'll get to the bottom <laughs> okay. of that in the next episode. So keep watching. Um, okay. Gentlemen, Jim Scott, what grade have you for Silence of the Lambs? Oh, straight up A. I, I was on board the Hannibal Lecter train even before um, it was selected for, you know, our yeah, review. You got, that, uh, you got that depth and breadth of knowledge that I was not. I'm, I was right to guess you then because you might have actually yeah. uh, with a movie like this uh, submitted it. Yeah. Um, I want to feel I, I feel uh, justified there choosing you and, and trying to throw the uh, <laughs> the guilt off of myself. Uh, it was believable, damn it. <laughs> All right, have I blathered on enough to get enough time to calculate a GPA? Yeah, uh, Silence of the Lambs is an excellent student, definitely going to graduate with honors um, with a 3.86, an A-, minus. Um, making it not our highest rated film of all time. It is tied for second place with 12 Angry Men, still 0 0.02 behind Roma with a 3.88. Wow. Roma was wow. the best okay. movie. Yeah. Roma, Roma, just, Roma is still our best movie ever. You know, I'll, I'll check back in on Roma. I've been thinking about Roma for what it's worth. I keep thinking about it, especially that part where she's the only one who can put her leg up like, uh, like the guy, uh, yeah. the Desert Ninja training guy. Um, that was one of the things, but yeah, I think about the imagery of it and, and, and stuff. So that one does keep, I think about the, I think about the opening sequence of Roma a lot, just like the, yeah, very I was going to say the airplane with the water and all there's, the, the yeah, it's just scrubbing. like, it's its own little story that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And it's told in a totally like self-contained way, mm -hmm. complete with just visuals. It's so good. Sure. <laughs> film. And then you get a whole visual. movie after that. Let's do another episode on Roma. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, the yeah, first yeah. three minutes of Roma. Roma. Yeah, it's a good one. Roma it was one two. I put off watching. Secret of the Roma. Yeah, right. <laughs> this time it's boogaloo. personal. 
That's yeah, always yeah. my favorite. I think that was like Jaws 4. This time it's personal. Like the shark literally was like, all right, I have a vendetta against this yeah, right. family now. I, I am now a thinking being. So, yeah, it sucked. It was a terrible one. Michael Caine was in it. Watch it anyway. It's worth it. Even watching. Michael Caine couldn't save it, huh? No. Yeah. No, not at all. Well, gotta get the shark. Did, yeah, did Michael Caine voice funny. the shark? Because that would have been fucking awesome. It's personal. Yeah. Oh, that was my bad Michael Caine there. My bad Michael Caine is out. All right. It's getting late. Um, okay, cool. So we have a pretty high grade for that. Um, I'm surprised 12 Angry Men didn't do better. How did that not get just straight A's? Have we had anything get straight A's yet? Nope. Still 3.88 is our highest, which I believe um, is all A's and one A minus. Somehow every highest. movie I've right. submitted hasn't gotten straight A's. It boggles my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I've given out a fair share of A's, but I think that they were worth it. But I guess uh, roll back to those episodes to see if you agree with me. Uh, speaking of rolling, uh, we should probably do that little oh, thing what where a we transition. roll some dice and find out. I know, I'm getting better at this shit. Uh, uh-oh, I'll have to bleep that out later now. Uh, CBS wants to purchase the show. and Oh, no. Uh, we can no longer curse. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, Let's I get know. all our swears in real quick. Yeah, right, exactly. Yep. Uh, this will. This episode will not be syndicated. Um, okay, so where, where was I? I was, I was doing so good. Uh, we got to roll for the next episode um and you know what i've been doing bad about is our new uh up here oh, oh yeah camera i'm so terrible at this up there yeah i've been behind on that I'll, I'll have to fix that in post too or maybe not whatever um so who's rolling to find out what we're watching for next week in this I'm octoberfest themed series Devin is going to roll and i cannot tell you what kind of die to roll you'll have to tell me i am too tired uh, i'll be a d4 mm-hmm all right yep so it is all right i got the sheet up and i'm assuming you're ready oh two number two so we'll be watching a little movie called sleepy hollow and it won for best art direction uh, it's currently streaming on Hulu, Sling, and Amazon Prime. And um, I don't know what year it came out. It's not listed here, um, but I'm going to guess it was in the early aughts. That's what I'm thinking, too. Yeah. Yeah. Sleepy Hollow. I remember seeing this a long time ago. Now that you guys know my, uh, that mine was the first movie, uh, I get to just talk about all the other ones and, and uh, not have it be a mistake. <laughs> so i do that about once a series it seems like this is 99 yeah 90 oh so okay it was that's earlier than i thought okay and uh it's based off of the uh ichabod crane mm-hmm. uh story by the uh brothers grim i want to say something like that i'm probably i don't know who probably, wrote legend of sleepy hollow yeah maybe it wasn't brothers grim I, I think there was a brothers grim movie that came out around this time and i'm confusing the two or something so, uh, yeah, Series 5, Episode 2, Sleepy Hollow. Check it out on Hulu and Sling and Amazon Prime. It's all over the place. It's Halloween, so we're going to find Halloween movies out there. Oh, um, just, cool. it just dawned on me. That's a Halloween-type movie. Yep. And it yeah. won for art direction, which I do remember it looking really cool. Uh, that, that definitely sold me on going to check it out. I think I watched it in the theater. Uh, was one of those. So, Sleepy Hollow for next week's show. 
Um, we got show announcements, show business. Cat uh, has a new job, and she's doing some extra intensive training and hours at that job. And we were very lucky to have her tonight because she probably will have to miss a lot or all of the rest of the Series 5 shows. But have no fear. We will have her pre-record her take on the movies uh, with a little segment we're going to call Cat's Corner. And she'll kind of we'll kick off the open discussion with that. Um, and, and she'll get the first word on the on the movies uh, uh, with that uh, pre-recorded thing. And um, we'll also have her kind of write down her grade and, and such and whether or not it was her movie because she did submit one. Um, yeah, Kat, do you have anything that you want to add to that? Congratulations on the job. And I'm sorry the hours are so long right now, but um, we're lucky to have you here tonight. Yeah. I'll definitely try my best with my my little corner um, segment, and uh, it definitely won't be the same having you know these discussions with you guys. And um, you definitely also remind me of things, and uh, you know, yeah, it'll be harder. Spark, I imagine. spark conversations. Yeah, so I'll try to do my best to just kind of get to the point, and hopefully that sparks discussion among you guys. So yeah. Nice. Tends to. Tends to. Yeah. I, I look forward to having your contribution in any way we can uh, during this very busy time for you. So, and thank you for making it here tonight. It was nice to have you on. Um, and so we'll look forward to Cat's Corner. Fan emails. You can write to the show if you type in ben at redhenmedia.com. Uh, if you email us, uh, we'll likely respond on the show. And uh, you may just take home a Who Dundee trophy and be a honorary Who Dundee award winner. Um, and I think that's just about it. Oh my gosh, I think the UPS is finally here. <laughs> just one more thing. Okay, I got my delivery of comeuppance. Columbo is here to tell us it's time for just one more thing. The segment of the show where all the co-hosts and I kind of mention a little something, something from outside of the show that we want to share. Uh, my thing is that the Giants won the pen and beat L.A. We beat them. And um, they also have a record number of wins in the team history, which dates back well over 100 years. Uh, 107 wins and only I think it was like 55 losses. So just incredible. A, a feat that you just would never hope. It was a Really, really, really entertaining uh, regular season to watch. And I look forward to seeing how they do in the postseason starting Friday. So go Giants. It's been really an honor to witness a, a team uh, fight so hard and, and come out on top. It's really like uh, an underdog story because no one had been pegged for this. And they have absolutely the best record in baseball. So good for them. That's my thing. And Cat. Uh, uh we're lucky to have you here to contribute. What do you got for us this week? Um, so I didn't necessarily prepare for just one more thing, but I just remembered this, so it works. Um, it's another shout-out for my boyfriend's band, and um, he will be performing for a Halloween show on October uh, 30th um, from 7 p.m. to midnight. And I realized I don't have the location, but it's somewhere in Rankin Valley in Santa Rosa. So hopefully uh, 
that will be announced oh, okay. later on. <laughs> Nearby to all of us, anyway. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, What's the name um, of the band? Yeah. You no, know, I you don't. Know. It's not his band. Band. It's like a gig he's doing right now with a friend. A gig so band. I don't yeah, even... where they put it together. Half the fun yeah. of doing those is coming up with the name of the band at the last minute over a couple of beers. <laughs> So um, just just so, wander around Recon Valley, going cat's boyfriend, yeah. cat's boyfriend, and you'll find it. You'll find it eventually. I yeah, wasn't ready for this. Page or uh, uh, well, let me try to help you. Does he have some kind of web page or or Twitter handle or something that we might look up if we wanted to go see him? Yeah, he has um his Instagram is, handle is Chicken Butt Junior. So excellent. <laughs> that was worth hearing, even if you're not going to look him up. Okay. So go check out Chicken Butt Junior. I can't wait to hear the name of his band now, if that's his name of his uh, uh, social media handle. Um, I'm sure he will post more about that once it gets closer. So I'm sure you can find cool, that cool. there. All right, cool. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. That's awesome. And what is he? He plays drums, right? Yeah, he's a drummer. Yeah, cool, cool. Hard to find a good drummer. Hard of the group. Okay, Mr. Devin Schwartz. Yeah, so I wanted to briefly mention that the game New World has released. I had mentioned it before. We were talking about Amazon and uh, their like shows and, and other ventures, and I mentioned that they're making an MMORPG um, called New World, which has now released. I've been playing it with a friend of mine, Jordan. Um, I think it's fairly good as far as MMOs go. Modern MMOs tend to be kind of bad, and it's surprisingly not. Um, but I'm not sure how long, how much longevity it'll have. That's kind of still to be seen. But my real one more thing is another game called Deathloop. Um, it's the latest by Arcane Studios, my favorite developer on the planet. Um, it takes place on an island full of murderers whose only goal is to kill you while you try to kill all of them. And the whole thing takes place in a time loop, all uh, Groundhog's Day, um, as your character attempts to break out of the loop and free himself by killing these, these visionaries that are on the island, these special assassins, basically. Um, it's extremely fun. It's super interesting. Uh, it, inc like an incredible story, which is like pretty hard to find in games these days. So I highly recommend Deathloop. Yeah, you got to have a good story for me to absolutely love your game. If you have a neat, neat concept and a uh, fun gameplay, I'll probably play it. But uh if you want to go down and, and be remembered and, and live on in my heart like a good novel or something, it's got to have a, a, the story's got to be there and the character's got to be there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't, I think the practice of making these like 60 hour, 90 hour open world games is really killing the idea of having a story in your game because like no one yeah. can care about a story that yeah. takes 90 hours to be told. Like it's impossible. You can't care yeah. about it. Yeah. The games that do focus on that, they do tend to be, uh, I even like the episodic games that they come out and just kind of lean into the story. I think that's more of like maybe a Japanese thing um, that's kind of been more being adapted to here in the last maybe 10 years or so. But um, mm -hmm. well, also Telltale Games in, in the, the West they... has been doing that. Uh -huh. Did Telltale go out they, of business? They did. Yeah, I actually know a guy who worked there. Um, but uh, they, it was, I think, because of that, because they kind of relied on these story-driven games, which weren't as yeah. mechanically interesting, and they just didn't get as many people. They also had internal issues with, there was like a whole scandal. They had their own like oh, uh, sexual uh, uh, um, misconduct scandal thing going on. Mm. Too, so, all have that. so the whole thing, that I know, it's a pandemic. The yeah. Huh. I tried out for one of their games uh, just for what, like for the fun of it, because voice acting is a fun thing to do. Um, and I, they probably made it. It was about the BPD and some murder mystery or something. But yeah, I like those episodic nice. games. But 
The one that really like broke the mold for me was uh, Life is Strange because it had the characters and the story there. And then it also had the cool like time rewinding uh, gameplay thing that made it cool. Um, so they, they got they hit on both sides, but it was still episodic. It's also not for everyone. Um, but there's something to be said for the 60 hour games, too. I did uh, buy a like this base fan for my laptop that keeps it like 20 degrees Celsius cooler. And so I had put down some of the harder hitting uh, Link Oculus games uh, for a couple months because of that problem. But now I've been able to play through much of the rest of Half-Life Alex, and that's been uh, thrilling and scary as hell and fun. Yeah, I cannot wait for you to beat that game and talk to you about I'm it. So oh, my God. I'm so close. Yeah, so much fun anyway. Uh, yeah, that's my just two more things. So, James Pepe, what have you got for us this week? Well, as I alluded to earlier, I want to recommend the Hannibal TV show. Um, surprise, surprise. Yeah, yeah. So the whole series is streaming for free right now on Hulu. Oh, awesome. um, the first series started in 2013. Um, I love it from beginning to. Well, it didn't get a. It didn't get a proper ending. Um, it was one of those shows that was a sort of critical, critical success. Um, but didn't get a lot of actual like regular folk watching it, um, which is too bad because it was such a cool show. Oh, okay. But it didn't. What do you mean it didn't get a good ending? Like they didn't write a good ending, or they just got canceled before it got they canceled before they could play it out. Yeah, it got canceled before they actually got a chance to yeah, write it. Yeah, that's not an the same as being a say Game of Thrones that just totally crashed and burned. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like it, it's super good. It's super avant-garde. The the like visual style of it is very. It actually pairs nicely with the fall, which is I recommended last time. Um, it's got a lot of similar sort of visual elements. If you like cooking shows, you might like this one too. Wink, wink. I don't get yeah. that. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, well, I'll no. I mean, there's just a lot of. At some point. There's just a lot of like very. I see a lot of about cooking people. Well, he <laughs> taking a while. Yes. <laughs> not as well i guess i'll just say in the show hannibal does a lot of cooking and you see it so there's parts of it where it's he just does a lot of interesting cooking straight up cooking okay yeah yeah but uh but hannibal's played by mads mickelson who's a great actor uh mm -hmm. he plays a great hannibal um lawrence fishburne plays jack crawford hugh dancy plays will graham and jillian anderson i think she shows up in the second season she plays Hannibal's psychiatrist, and she's awesome because she's Julian Anderson. So yeah, there's a lot of other people in it that you'll notice from other TV stuff too. So cool. Uh, you know, I'm probably primed enough on having watched Signs of the Lambs to actually uh, crack in, uh, that open and uh, get into that series. It's, what do it's I know super Matt good. Nicholson from? Uh, he was a, tons of stuff. Yeah, tons Doctor of, he Strange. Was, he was oh, he was the bad guy. One of the bad. He's guys always the bad guy. He's, he's always, always the bad guy. guy. He's never been a good guy. <laughs> no, he was. Great he's like Doctor always a villain Strange. and everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was trying to explain how uh, Darmamu was actually the good guy or whatever. Um, oh, I'll get in a, since we're talking about Mads Mikkelsen, and I'll get in a stealth second recommendation, and I'll just make it quick. Sure. Check out the Hunt. If you haven't seen it, it's a really good movie. That's the other movie that's I'm looking at his IMDb, and that's the other movie that they list up here. Yeah. The Hunt 2012. He plays Lucas. Okay. Uh, I'll get Mads for Mads. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about the 2020 The, the Hunt. There's a no. few The Hunts, I feel like. That was a good movie. I enjoyed it. 
hunt. What was it? Which one was it? I don't remember. Um, I don't remember like the main yeah, yeah, a third movie called The Hunt. Yeah, the main actress, but it's basically people kind of coming to and they're in the middle of a field and they're basically being hunted. And it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek. They're a bunch of conservatives. Yeah, they're a bunch of conservatives. The people that are hunting them for sport are liberals and it's it it pokes fun at everybody. Um, but it is an action thriller. Yeah, that that's it. Killers. So this one is Mads Mikkelsen in the hunt twenty twelve with Thomas Bo Larson. Um, so therein lies the difference. But Jim, since you're already uh, speaking, why don't you continue on and then let us know what your thing is. Yeah, so my just one more thing, surprise, surprise, is more horror. I think I've... Is the season. Paid, yeah, I paid more attention because we do this podcast. I have my feelers out there okay. for, like, what am I going to introduce as my just one more thing? So there's... I read an article uh, recently, seven horror movies that are coming on Netflix. There's that. So this is just a general nebulous. Um, After I get done with this podcast with you all fine folks, I plan on cracking open Dying Light again. I played it a long time ago and never passed it. I got like a third of the way through or so. So I'm going to play that. And uh, uh, I took Devin's advice and I actually, instead of setting it as bedtime movie, I actually watched uh, Fear Street, the first two movies, and then I need to finish the third, which is set in 1666. And that for horror... Yeah, and that for horror fans is an homage to other genres. So the first one's set in 94, and that's an homage, homage to Scream primarily okay. second one's okay. 1978 and that's an homage to friday the 13th and the halloween slashes, yeah mm-hmm. right. and then the third one looks like because i haven't seen it but it looks like it's an homage to the witch uh, definitely a period piece oh interesting and they're all well my connected. wife watched those and she's a big horror fan like you jim and she yeah. really liked it so did you really did you enjoy it yeah i enjoyed i you, you know i because before i didn't watch the first 20 minutes as i was drifting off then that would be it no i watching it like paying attention to it i really enjoyed it it's a lot of fun um yeah i just keep it at that it's a lot of fun and i would recommend it you know to other horror fans well, out there it's october the shadows are deepening, and um, tis the yeah. season for some horror. So get it's out awesome. there and check it out. Yeah, I'm excited about seeing more Halloween themed stuff in October as well. Yeah, um, but uh, we'll have to wait until next week because oh, miss you most is missing again. I guess uh-huh. I missed miss you most. That's kind of meta. Well, we'll imagine that Dorothy is here <laughs> and that she's saying <laughs> it's time to say goodbye. Uh, I'm not crying because I didn't get to hear uh, her line that gets me going every time. So uh, let's say our goodbyes, starting with Kat. I'm Catherine Ramirez, the real. Catch me on Instagram at Kat Ramirez with Tuesdays. See you all next time. Yeah, we'll see you hopefully again in the series. And if not, we'll see you in Kat's Corner. Um, Mr. Devin Schwartz. 
I'm Devin Schwartz. You can find me at Devin Schwartz one on Twitter and came over man game over. Indeed. And it also has just begun series five, baby. All right. My good friend, James Pepe. I've been, I've been James Pepe. Uh, thanks for showing up and listening and watching and, uh, hope to see you back next week. Yep. You always make me think, damn you, sir. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) the irrepressible gentleman, Jim Scott. Yeah, I'm Jim Scott, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Farewell, gentle listeners and friends, and take care. Yeah, take care. Until next week. And this has been I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. And now that you've looked at ours, we hope to look at yours soon. If you enjoy the show, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, give us a five-star review, dot your I's, cross your T's, sign here, initial here, And don't forget to tell your friends. And remember to watch Sleepy Hollow, uh, which won for Best Art Direction, and it's streaming on Hulu Sling and Amazon Prime. Until next time, keep on looking.